Hi everyone, Nicolette Richet here of the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host. This is my podcast where I bring guests on, scientists on, medical doctors on, and Eat Real to Heal clients who have taken their health into their own hands and used food as medicine to overcome their mental health issues, their chronic disease issues and illnesses, and so much more. This show is a podcast about true wellness warriors, true healing heroes that have gone above and beyond, not just handed over their health to the medical system, but they have decided what they needed to do to take their health health back, to take their life back, to regain vitality and truly live an optimal, rich, energizing and vibrant life. So today's show, I'm so excited to have Shelby Friesen on the show. Shelby is this incredible young man who really did exactly what this podcast is designed to do. He took his life back. Now Shelby has a long history of battling depression and anxiety and um, suffering from panic attacks later on in his early 20s. And you know, like most people who when they start experiencing symptoms, you know, they're often not able to get answers to their chronic health issues, these ongoing health issues. And, you know, he tried many different things and it was really when he recognized that he was addicted to sugar that he was able to take steps forward to reclaim his life. His story is so powerful. It is so relatable because there's millions of millions of people in North America and in developed countries or Western countries or colonized countries around the world where people are suffering from mental health issues that they don't need to be suffering from. And of course, what makes Shelby a true wellness warrior is the fact that he used food as medicine. It was a four-year journey for him, especially when he found himself in a one-year-long panic attack. So his story is so powerful. I'm so excited to have him on the show to share this with you because by sharing our stories like this and how we were able to get ourselves out of these difficult situations, we enable other people to learn from the things that we did, from the easy things that we did to the difficult things that we did. And when we dive into those short stories and share them with others, it actually enables others, it inspires others, it motivates other people, it educates other people so that they can perhaps take similar actions or find the tools that are gonna work from them. But stories are a powerful way to get this message across. Now, Shelby founded Ride Motorsports when he was in his early 20s. He bought a house in his early 20s. He had a lot of stress. So his story is even more relatable from the sense that he's not unlike every single person on the planet that's undergoing stressful day-to-day life issues. But when you're addicted to sugar and when you're not nutrifying your body, it makes it really hard to deal with those life stressors. So join us in this podcast today as we welcome Shelby, one of our students of our nutrition and detox coaching program. He's now a dear friend and he is someone out there who is a mentor to other young men who are going through similar situations. So I hope you enjoy the show. Let us know what you think and please share Shelby's empowering story with 
other people that you know because it might be you that's suffering from mental health issues but it may also be someone else that you're living with a family member and a loved one that is also battling mental health issues and if they don't know that food needs to be the one thing you need to address right away to get a handle on it, then you really are missing out on being able to lead a quality life that is rich and full. So enjoy the show. Do let us know what you think. Be well. Hey everyone, Nicolette here, your host of the Eat Real to Heal podcast. And today on the show, I have Shelby Friesen, all the way up from Fort Langley, beautiful British Columbia. Thanks for being here today. No problem. So Shelby, we are going to be talking about so many wonderful things that plague the 20-year-old generation that we have. Um, all the kids who are in the 20s right now, and you guys aren't kids, you're adults, um, but you know... Now that I'm approaching 44 in a month, I look back on my 20s and I remember that the 20s was such a fun time in my life, but also not an easy time in my life. And that's why I resonate so much with your story and why I want to um, for you to share what you've been going through um, right now in the last few years and how you arrived on literally my doorstep doing our our Eat Real to Heal nutrition and detox coaching program. So that's what we're going to be sharing with everybody today. But I want you to take me back to um, the time in your life when uh, you were realizing that you had depression, anxiety, and tell me about what life was like and how old you were and all the details around that. Um, I think, I think when I fully realized I was, it was actually quite late. I was about 20 years old when I first started talking to anybody about anxiety or depression. And it was after I'd taken on drinking and other things. So, um, it was definitely, uh, it was kind of, I don't know, I guess it was just a not super happy time. I mean, I was going out drinking a lot, um, and working long hours and I just really wasn't taking care of myself and like nothing that I, that I was doing. But I think thinking back, um, I mean, I've always had these problems growing up, but it took a long time for me to realize that. Take me back to what it was like in high school for you. And, um, when you were going through high school, did you know that you had depression or was that something that you no, only realized after? Yeah, no. So I didn't know. I mean, like now, if I think back on it, if if I were to like look at myself from third person view as I was growing up, I would, from everything I know now, I could have spotted very easily that I had these problems and, and this stuff. But in the time, I had no clue. I just assumed it was normal feelings that everybody else had or I don't know I mean I guess I just assumed it was me I didn't really question it but um, I think I just never really felt safe and that would just stem from growing up um, with my family my mom and my dad split up at a young age uh, when I was like three or four and I would when I would have to go to my mom's house and stay with her. We like resided with my dad most of the time. 
I would just never feel safe there. Like I would, I'd be on edge all the time. I couldn't sleep there. They'd always make me go and I would end up calling to come home. And I just couldn't explain the feelings. I didn't know why. I just never felt safe and didn't want to be there. And, and this that, is with your, at your mom's house? Yeah. Well, she kind of moved around a lot, would mm-hmm. like rent different places and, you know, be in one place for a month or two. And then it just was all over the place a lot. And I mean, it's not that I didn't like her. I just had no idea why I had these feelings. I just didn't want to be there. And it was very uncomfortable. And did you have a loving relationship with your mom? Um, not much of a relationship. I mean, I don't, didn't, yeah, we didn't really talk much, um, I didn't really have much of a loving relationship with anyone, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What about your brother? Because you have a brother as well, right? Yeah, we didn't, we weren't close then. We, like, when I was younger, we fought a lot. I mean, basically, my dad would go to work. He would drop us off at school. We would go to school, come home, and he would work late. So he wouldn't come home till 7 or 8. We'd have a babysitter or it would just be us. And we would literally just fight from 3 o'clock till 7 p.m., like throw milk jugs at each other, hockey sticks. Like it was just a war zone until my dad came home. And uh, I think that was another, you know, that's another factor, like growing up, always being on edge, fighting with your brother till your dad comes home and then he comes home and screams and then it's time to go to bed. So it's kind of like a, a weird circle of life, I guess. And... I mean, yeah, I have three kids and, you know, they fight a lot and we are constantly, you know, breaking up these crazy discussions and sometimes, you know, they end up pulling each other's hair and it's like, you know, as a parent, it is exhausting because you can't be in the middle of them all the time and it takes a lot of energy to sit down and teach them how to have really good communication skills with each other and nonviolent communication. So I can imagine, um, And usually the parents think about it from their perspective, like, oh, these kids are always fighting. But definitely (laughs) from the kid's perspective, too, it's got to be exhausting all the time. Yeah. Right. To constantly be battling it out. But you and your brother are close now. Yeah, we're close now. Yeah. Um, And so when you were growing, so as a young child, you know, moving back and forth from, you know, one parent's house to another. I mean, a lot of kids are in that situation and, you know, these parents try and create these environments, but it's challenging, right, to create an environment um, where kids do feel safe all the time and they feel comfortable going between, you know, two homes. Everything's different all the time. And I see how hard it is to create a safe environment in a home where you're not divorced. I mean, it's just hard living and raising kids these days and for parents to be happy. So did you think your situation was different from, you know, the friends that you were growing up with? Um, I think every every local kid at our elementary school that like in our neighborhood they were all there was no divorced parents um yeah it was anyone that i can think of i mean i know people whose parents divorced later on like in high school or or past that but i think at that point you can understand what's going on so it's not i mean not saying it's easy but at least you know i mean when you're four years old and people are just screaming and you don't know what the hell's going on it's a little bit different i think so um, yeah, that, that would be the only difference that I would say. Right. So you were one of the only kids who were, were in a divorced mm-hmm. family yeah, yeah, going back and forth. So that adds extra social dynamic pressures mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. Emotionally. So when, by the time you got to be a teenager, um, what did that look like for you? That feeling of not being safe? Um, I don't, I think just, Being at school, I mean, I never, I didn't like doing things in public. I mean, even as far as I can remember back with kids and stuff, I always liked doing my own things. I didn't 
necessarily like I played hockey growing up. I didn't necessarily like going to hockey. Like I hated going to places with a bunch of kids that I had to talk to and and be around. It just was always super uncomfortable for me. Like where I felt safe was by myself pretty much in my room playing video games or doing something along those lines. Um, which my parent, well, my dad hated. He, if you're playing pretty much video games, are the dumbest thing you can do. Well, to him, I mean, I back then obviously but um how do you feel about playing video games now yeah oh or I, just the whole yeah the whole era of video games i mean i know they've been around for a long time i used to play super mario brothers but i know the games have definitely changed <laughs> since then yeah they're a lot different i mean i don't know i'd say they're good and bad i mean you're still conversing with people online not necessarily in a positive way but um and then I think most of the games are quite violent. And I, and I don't think that's bad. I, I just think that it's starting too young now. Like, my cousins will be playing the games that I was playing when I was 16, 17, when they are like, 8, 10 years old. So they're playing all these shooting games and war games and all this other stuff. So um, I wouldn't say that's necessarily positive for kids to be playing. But um, but you felt safe being by yourself and playing these video games. And so... Well, I think it's because it was something I was really good at. Mm-hmm. So I felt like... I don't know. I just felt good because if you're good when you're good at something, you feel like that. Whereas when I was in school, um, I wasn't really. I, I just feel like I wasn't like a loser, but I wasn't one of the really cool kids. I was like kind of right in the middle and jumped around between all the groups, sort of thing. And you know, I hung out with pretty much everybody, but I just I, I didn't play in any school teams or sports or any of that stuff I never took part in like I was way too scared or you know I was really concerned about what people thought of me right that was like Mm -hmm. the biggest thing but I wouldn't take part in any of the um like any activity like school day activities you know where you like everybody dresses up like pirates for one day or or whatever they are grad activities I didn't do any of that kind of stuff because I was always so nervous of you know what people would think or getting made fun of or whatever um yeah it was just kind of yeah I can uh, <laughs> yeah definitely can understand that I mean and it's that's the hard thing about being a kid is that you're trying to figure it out and then they make it pajama day or whatever day at school and then make it that much more awkward for the kids who already feel mm-hmm. you know maybe awkward or you know like they don't fit in or that you know, they don't have their place or haven't found it yet. And I think it's even for the kids, you know, the popular kids. I mean, I learn now looking back and, you know, meeting up with some, you know, you bump into them and you hear that they were just as anxious as everybody else was and just as nervous and, you know, felt out of place as well. Mm-hmm. And high school is a tough time. So when you were in high school then and looking back now at the time, like, did you know that you had depression and anxiety or when did that hit? No, I mean, through high school, I just remember I would be, I would like be sweating all the time because I'd be so anxious. Like I would just be sitting there sweating. I would like, I would do anything to not go up in front of classes and do speaking. Um, yeah, it would just be like the second I would get to school, I would just be like anxious until I left. Um, and just avoiding people, not wanting to talk to people just because I don't know, I was just embarrassed. I don't even know I would be embarrassed to talk to people. I have no idea why, but um, I, thinking like I, I didn't know. That that would have been, I mean, I guess that would be social anxiety. And I, I had no clue that I had that. Um, I just, I didn't even know what it was. I was just going with it. And were your parents ever concerned? Did no. They ever, <laughs> no, not at all. They didn't notice. No. What about your brother? Did he notice anything different or? No, I think, 
I mean, I don't know. I feel like I just tried to to hide it, I guess. Um, but no, there was never any questioning from anyone. I just went with it and whatever. Um, Got through it. Sort of. And then I guess when I, yeah, when I fully realized it would have been when I was 20, so a couple of years after high school, but I think... I mean, I think the the thing was in in high school, it was it was quite bearable where, you know, I wasn't complaining about it. It was like, OK, you know, I'm having this go on. But um, it wasn't something that was that I thought was like really affecting my life. So I just didn't really think that much of it. Whereas once I got out of high school and, and I didn't start partying till a late age, like I wasn't one of those kids who drank in grade eight. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think my, I think my first time drinking was at a grad party in grade 12. So for that then after high school I started taking on these other habits so I started drinking and then you know you're working full-time you have money so you can kind of do your own thing so yeah you just kind of take on to that and we ended up you know basically drinking every weekend until you know then I and people would buy beer for us and then when we when I turned 19 I mean it's just a free-for-all after that so so drinking every weekend, though, like that doesn't even seem like very much drinking compared to what, you know, a lot of kids will, you um, know, that seems pretty typical of what a lot of high school kids would do is, you know, they go out and party on the Friday and Saturday night. And, you know, it seems to start with that. And then, of course, once you get out of high school, then you kind of have free liberty to drink all the time. So did you think you were drinking more than anybody else or? Um, not less? right after high school, but when I hit 19, I was living in Whistler working for my uncles or in Pemberton and everyone at the it's a steel fabrication shop so everybody there drinks beer after work and that's a normal thing for almost any trade like company or anyone who works in trades and what were you doing for that company uh fabrication welding uh site install pretty much everything Mm -hmm. um but you just take after the people that you're with you see all these older people doing this and it just seems normal and i mean really like lots of adults drink all the time it's like pretty normal everyone has a couple beers after work or whatever that's not really frowned upon um so I started taking up on that I would have a couple beers at the shop and then we'd go home and have a couple more and before and this was after I was 19 because I could buy buy it before I knew it we'd be having like I mean we'd buy a 24 case between my uncle and I and we would finish it in two days so that's at least six beers a day um, and then that would just be normal. Like I'd still get up and go to work, but then on the weekend I would really, you know, then I would have a lot more than that. And so how did the drinking make you feel? Like, was it something that was more of a habit or was it, were you doing it? Cause it, did it give you confidence? Did it numb you out? Um, or was it just like a habit? You just do it. Cause everybody, I think is. I just honestly thought it was cool and like maybe made me fit in. I didn't, didn't make me feel any better. And that's one thing I found with, well, even when I, like when I drink or do, I, I can't eat. So when I start, like it would be a Wednesday and I'd go home and start drinking a couple beers and then start making some, trying to make food. And then by the time the food was ready, I wouldn't even eat it. Mm. I would have a couple bites and it, it just, yeah, it didn't really ever make me feel never made my body feel good. I guess it's sort of, I don't know. It even made me anxious too. I just didn't realize what it was at the time. I was just, I was, I think I was mainly honestly just doing it because that's what everyone was doing. And I don't know, it's some weird thing now where everyone thinks like the more, I don't know, like kids in high school and stuff too. It's like the more you drink or the more drugs you do or the more 
cigarettes you smoke, it makes you cooler, like, for some reason. That's just how kids talk, or, Mm -hmm. I mean, and I did the same thing. So I think think that's kind of how how that went. And so at the point when you... um, There was a point when you started to really feel anxious a lot, to the point that it was affecting you. Yeah, so I kind of... I took, I mean, and I guess touching on the food too throughout this time, um, I never had a healthy diet uh, growing up. So what kind of foods did you eat? As far as I can remember back, I mean, it's not like I was eating McDonald's every day, but we were having lots of, lots of processed carbs, lots of meat. um, And I had a lot, like I ate a lot of sugar. So we would, I mean, I remember my dad had this change bin. Well, he had ice cream buckets full of change under his nightstand and Jamie and I would go in there um, every day after school and just take money out. And we would either go to the corner store or go to the uh, berry farm. We did milkshakes and we would do that every day after school. And even like during school, I'd buy chocolate bars, Skittles when they still had the machines and all that stuff in there. Um, and I mean, I ate like quite a bit more sugar than anybody else. And it was always kind of a joke in the family. Everyone always said, you know, they'd, be, they'd tell me not to eat it, but they would just say, I'm going to get diabetes. And I was like, okay, well, I don't really care if I get diabetes. Like, who cares? You just put, you know, you do a little insulin thing. It's not a big deal. Um, yeah, I just watched a <laughs> young guy, a snowboarder up here in Whistler and sitting in the cafe and he found a back of Coke and a piece of pizza and it was just loaded in tons of grease, cheap pepperoni. Um, and, you know, then he all of a sudden he just pulled down his bib from his snowboarding gear, grabbed a needle, jammed it into his stomach, and then that was it. He's good to go again, right? He just oh. got his daily dose of insulin, and away he goes. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see him in 20 years if that is the solution that he thinks to um, eating. But a lot of people don't have that relationship between diet and health. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's pretty cool that, you know, the people around you were like, yeah, you're going to get diabetes. Like, they were seeing you know, some connection there, but... Yeah, I mean, at at least it was something. I think at the end of the day, I mean, no one really... Everyone, that's all people think from sugars. They just think diabetes. Like, that's all I ever heard from 15 years of eating pure sugar. And if I would have known how it affects your mood and your energy and how how it actually affects you and everything else that it leads to, I think it would have been a totally different story. But no one, I mean, I don't know. And even thinking back, sometimes I get... I don't get mad, but I think like, man, what the hell was my dad doing? Why was he letting me eat this stuff? Why was he feeding us that? Like, like, yeah, I would, I don't know. But at the end of the day, he just doesn't know. Like people don't know that. So how do you, he's just doing what everybody else is doing. And that's where we are in the world with, I mean, if we have access to the information and we know and we understand, then we can take action for or against whatever it is. And I mean, I hear the same thing, like my mother-in-law you know, she gave birth to my husband at a time when the women just didn't breastfeed. Like it wasn't cool to breastfeed. So you wouldn't, why would you do that? That's disgusting. Like you have formula, just give your baby the formula. And now, you know, when she saw us having kids, she was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. But in the science shows, you know, breastfeeding is a good thing. And obviously formula, if you absolutely cannot breastfeed, but it's a different, you know, time for her now. And so a lot of the times it's just what you do. And back then I remember like trips to the candy store, but lots of parents still do it now. They think it's the right thing to to do to treat your kids to candy and so they give the nicey kids all the time walking around Whistler with a big bag of candy and meanwhile most of the candy you know is smothered in things like I just learned that one of the flavorings for strawberry and raspberry is beaver 
anal gland secretions, <laughs> which I just gave a talk <laughs> in the city at a private school. And I was telling the kids that and the, one of the kids was like, but it makes the candy taste so good. <laughs> and then another kid was like, is that really good for us? Like, have they done any studies to know if that's really good for us or not? Um, you know, and yellow dye and red dye and all of those different things. I mean, a lot of the times they're made from chemicals, synthetic chemicals, and now they're calling it natural coloring because it's made from crushing up red bugs and from tar, you know, to get those same things. And those are natural products, but people don't realize, you know, really what's in that. And I get it too. I would remember being addicted to candy as a kid. And I used to steal money out of my parents' wallet, hop on my bike when my parents were busy, leave the house, race as fast as I could to the corner store, which meant crossing a very busy street, and then racing back and having candy like hidden underneath my dress. And I would like hide in my bedroom and my mom would not even know that I'd left the house with her stolen money, crossed a highway to go get candy and come back. But I was so desperate. It was all I could think about. So you did your presentation on sugar addiction, um, which is part of the requirements for our nutrition and detox coach. So, um, and I get why you chose it now, this addiction to sugar. Um, It was a really great presentation, by the way, but um, you didn't know that at the time you could be addicted to sugar. No. No. And when did, did, were you, so you would say you were addicted to sugar, like even as an adult, did that carry on from high oh, school? Oh yeah, it got, wor- it got way worse uh, after high. I mean, I didn't really realize it probably. Well, I realized it about the same time I had the anxiety really. Um, throughout high school and stuff, I just ate it. And I don't know, I think just when you're younger, you you honestly might not notice it as much. Like, yeah, you might get like a, a like a sugar higher you know it'll have the same effect but I just think your body can maybe deal with it easier um and were you overweight at any point in high school no and I guess that's the other thing is I was always I've always been thin like I'm not it doesn't I've ate the worst diet and I've ate the best diet and my body hasn't changed and and I mean I think that was one of the big things where I just assumed like look at me I'm this skinny guy eating all this junk food it doesn't matter I'm still healthy when at the end of the day it's not just you know, it's not just your body size that matters, really. Um, but I think after high school, it just started getting worse. And I, and I think the, the drinking added to it, the, everything, the drinking, the food. And I mean, because like how the starches and the alcohol, it all gives the same effect as sugar does with addiction at the end of the day. So it just started to compile together. And I really noticed it once I started my own business and started working a lot because um, I I would just, I would get, I was putting myself through so much work and I was not sleeping enough and I would wake up at five in the morning and I would go to Starbucks and get a mocha and I would feel, I mean, I, I wouldn't even feel good. It just felt like I needed it. Um, it would, it would make me very anxious. And when I ate it, I, my, my, um, I would get very scatterbrained and I couldn't really think, but then I would drink it and I would have that kind of feel for about half an hour and then I would feel like pretty decent and then I would just drop off again. And I remember at times where I would actually have to, it'd be 11 o'clock and I wouldn't even necessarily be hungry, but I'd be craving sugar so bad that I would just leave work and go get a milkshake or a mocha or, or anything that had sugar in it. It didn't matter what it was. Like I would eat cheesecake for lunch and, and nothing else. So it got to a point where I really, and even then I didn't r- really notice what was happening because when you're having cravings and people talk about it all the time, like, oh, I crave sugar. I'm just going to go 
get this and there's nothing no one ever says anything bad about it it just seems so normal people just do it so um again i never thought anything was wrong i knew it wasn't making me feel good but i didn't know like i didn't know it was an issue i just kept going with it because it just seemed like a normal thing to do right and would you feel like it would light up your brain for a little bit did it you know made you feel good it was like a dopamine hit to the brain i mean it definitely we know that sugar there's so many great documentaries out there and we'll put some of the links below um of the documentaries you can watch on sugar and especially for parents so you can see the effect that it has on these kids brains. and when we talk about sugar i just need to interject with this you know we're talking about refined mm-hmm. processed sugar right like you weren't going out there and being like you know i need a really good apple or big cantaloupe or something like that you were like going after the white refined sugar stuff that's like fills up the milkshakes at places that aren't making milkshakes out of like almond milk and yeah because the 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 fruit just doesn't cut it when you're that deep into it um it does like you could have a strawberry or an apple and it just tastes like water it doesn't compare um doesn't compare to any of the refined stuff once you once you eat that much of it yeah the fruit i mean veggies veggies would almost taste sour to me and then fruit would be i mean fruit wasn't enough even if you put it on your cereal or anything like you i would have to dump sugar on top of the fruit as well it just it wouldn't cut it right i remember those days being a kid and getting um gosh what was it alphabet cereal and then spooning like a tablespoon or two of white sugar on top of it. And that was just what we did back in the 70s, you know. Um, and, yeah, I remember doing that. It definitely didn't last long. I don't remember doing it for very long. I don't. There must have been a blip in my parents' <laughs> life where they were like, well, just let the kids have sugar. Um, yeah. So then how long did this continue for then when you were just, you know, you're now an adult. Had you started your business at this point? Yes, I was doing it at this point. Um, so... And did you know that the sugar... Th- problem like did you know that it was a problem or were you just like this is just what you do like no relationship between diet and the health so you're just like yeah i need a milkshake so i'm gonna go get one then i'm gonna get a starbucks mocha and then i'm gonna top it off with like a sugary you know um, pastry or something like that i mean i think I, I could tell something was wrong i just wasn't really sure because at this point i mean in the worst part of my life which would be then like the as it was progressing the worst um I was working a lot. I mean, when you start when you start a new business, you have to do whatever it takes to make money or get by. And we we bought our first house at this point as well. So, I mean, I had to make money. I didn't have a choice. If I had to work 14, 16 hours a day or more to make sure we had the money and to pay the bills, that's what had to happen. And, and how old were you at this time when you bought your first house? 21. And what inspired you to do that? I mean, that's a pretty brilliant move to do at such a young age. I honestly didn't really care that much about buying a house. Um, I mean, it, it was cool, but the only reason we did is our is my my dad helped us out. He lent us the money for the down payment because that's the other issue with having your own business. They don't want to lend you money or nearly as much. So my brother, my brother and I bought it together, and we both had our own businesses. So he had to lend us a couple hundred thousand dollars as a down payment because we had like no income or money there was no other way to do it so um and he wanted us to to do that because we were paying him rent and I mean it was just at the point where I mean I'm 21 years old it was just getting a little bit out of hand living at home with him because we never had like 
we always we all of us just fought all the time so it was nice to I mean he basically wanted us to get out and get our own place and I mean he also saw how hard we were working so he I mean if we were being lazy and not doing anything he obviously wouldn't have helped us out but yeah I mean he really my dad was the one who really put it on the table it it wasn't a big I mean I didn't decide and come to him saying I really really want to buy a house it's mm-hmm. something he wanted us to do which was good but yeah Okay, so initiated by him. Pretty cool dad to do that because, (laughs) yeah, um, I know lots of people, even my age, who are still paying rent and it's really hard to get into the market now. So that was a pretty cool move on all your parts, your dad and then yours for accepting it. Yeah. So then, yeah, that's a lot of stress too, right? For a 21-year-old to buy a house and have mortgage and bills that you have to pay. And, you know, a lot of kids are probably going off traveling and, Mm -hmm. you know bumming around Europe and all of those in Thailand and all those places. And here you are starting, had you started your business now? Yeah, I had. I had it And what was your business? It's called Ride Motorsports. And we we started then, we were mainly doing truck repairs and custom fabrication, building, you know, lift kits, roll cages, um, bumpers, literally anything for race cars and and modified trucks. Um, And... Yeah, so back then it required a lot more work than it did now because everything we were building was custom and I had to be there physically doing the work. Um, Whereas now we've moved more to the online production and sales so I can step back and don't have to be there doing all that stuff. But um, And how how did you get into that business and how did you decide to start that? um, My uncles, well, working for my uncles up in Pemberton, that's where I learned all my, I mean, they allow, they let me do, like, use everything in the shop. They wanted me to learn how to do, do it all, weld, fabricate, do all the layout, you know, design the stuff. I mean, not necessarily design, but do everything, go to site, install it. And they they wanted me to learn all aspects of the job. So, and we were building high-end homes up here. So everything was fancy. Um, It had to be perfect. It wasn't, you know, we weren't building any hack things. So I kind of took that, I mean, I've always been interested in cars and I kind of just took my mentality from building the high-end homes to, and transferred it to building high-end cars. Um, and yeah, that was, that's pretty much it. I mean, just, just went with it. I, I started doing small stuff on the side and then it just got busy enough that I decided, okay, well, I'm just going to do this and see what happens. That's so. pretty cool. So you have your business, you're cranking back the sugar you have a house and you have a mortgage that you have to pay for. You're really young. You're still in your early 20s at this point. Um, so that's a lot of pressure. Um, yeah, I know from running a business, I mean, there, it's you don't get to just make the car parts. Like now you are paying taxes and payroll and, you know, all those other things that figure that they pretty much don't teach you in school. Yeah. Um, okay. So at this point, um, is this when the anxiety really starts to creep in and you start to notice yeah, it started to get really bad because, like I said, we'd be working all the time. Like at least, I'd say at least 12 hours a day probably. Like I mean, I would generally be at the shop from 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. daily. And, I mean, weekends we would work, we would work most weekends when we started. But I think, yeah, the worst part, and I think this another issue is when, this this whole new like entrepreneur not new but I mean the whole entrepreneur thing people are really like gung ho about working as much as you possibly can and that's all they want to talk about like when I see so many times on social media I see people starting a business and then they just posting like how all they post about is how much they're working they just want everyone to know 
like I'm working so much and this and that. And I mean, I, I get it. It's cool. It's your own business. But I fell into that as well, where I just thought like, I just need to work 24 seven. So I kind of just push sleep to the side. I would get up at, you know, five, six in the morning and I would, but I wouldn't go to bed till midnight, sometimes later. So there, I was never sleeping even close to eight hours a night. And were you still going home after work and having a few beer? Um, we would drink at the shop usually because I'd be at the shop till 10. So, I mean, you know, you know, you just, you know, after five o'clock or sometimes not after five <laughs> before <laughs> you, you just have a few. Um, yeah. So the, and yeah, so there was definitely like still drinking, um, which doesn't help with the sleep either. No. And then, yeah, like mornings again, like I would get a mocha or just some sort of pastry, something with sugar on it. Or, you know, I would just go and get a, like a bagel. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, it's the same thing, the refined starches. So I would always have something starchy or sugary and I'd work all day drink and then the when I really started to notice it was on the weekend so it would hit me really hard when I was hungover and for the longest time I just thought that was a hangover so I would go out and drink on Friday night and I would wake up and I would have the most insane panic attacks like I would literally just wake up and all of a sudden I would just think I'm dying like my brain would be going crazy I'd be standing like I'd be in the shower just thinking, like, I'm going to have a heart attack and drop dead. So, like, explain what a panic attack is like for people, because I think a lot of people probably have a, some symptoms of them um, before they really start to get worse, and they don't realize that it's it's not like one day you just have a panic attack. It's often what I found for my clients. is There's, like, a lead-up. There, Your body's been, you know, showing signs, and then all of a sudden, boom, it does just hit you. So what was this like? And you know, When it hit? Yeah. Or when they hit? Um I think it's just kind of a shock because you don't, you just have no clue. Like when you're having anxiety, you're feeling anxious about something, you know what it is, right? Like if you're going into a situation and like me or like me coming to do this podcast today, you can feel the anxiety kind of building up. But with a panic attack, it's just the like the snap of your fingers. You just feel, and I mean, they're kind of different. A lot of mine, I don't know. I would have certain ones that I hung over when I would be sitting in a restaurant. We would go to a restaurant in the morning and all of a sudden it would just feel like the whole restaurant was just caving in like on top of me and I, and I had no idea what was going on. I would just start freaking out and like all the noises and everything. It was just like, it's like it was all just coming down on me and I would have to go sit outside. I couldn't sit in the restaurant and have breakfast with anyone. I would just have to be be outside and, and, and take a minute. Did you breathe at this time or breathing was hard? Um, yeah, it's tough to breathe. I mean, you're trying to breathe, but I don't know. It just, it just like takes over your whole body. You instantly start like sweating and I don't even, it's, it's, yeah. So, and I would have a lot like that in situations. And then a lot was based on my health. I would have, I don't know why, but I would have panic attacks about, I would feel, I would feel the littlest thing, like maybe like some a breeze on my leg and I would think my legs going numb and I would just start freaking out or I would blink my eyes and I think I'm going to go blind or I just the the craziest stuff and, and I don't I don't know why it happened but yeah and so what did you do at this time so this starts happening and how often was this happening is it like once a week or um, more times panic attacks a lot more than that I mean they it was definitely the worst like I would when I would wake up hungover it would be really bad. And, and I basically, if I was hungover, I, I would just be trying to survive the day. Like I, for me to leave the house was 
like I couldn't drive when I was hungover because my it would be such bad panic attacks that there was no way I could drive a car. I would have to go with somebody else. And then, I mean, at this point, I would have them, like, basically, if I drank, I would have them all day the next day. Like, my, I would be in an entire panic attack at the, at the worst. And then throughout the week, it would just start getting better. Like, I'd have less on Monday, less on Tuesday, and then kind of back to, like, pretty much none on Wednesday and feeling normal. And then Friday, Thursday, Friday, and then I would just jump back into the liquor on Friday and hop back into the same circle. And where, did you have a roommate at this time? Or you were you living with your brother? In I, in my house, we had a lot of roommates. We rented out every bedroom. So we had a, a six, seven-bedroom house. We closed the garage in and made two more rooms. So we had about seven people living in our house. And was anybody concerned? Did they notice that you were going through this? Or is this just something you silently suffered with? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, I talked about it a bit. But, I mean, this... Not, I didn't talk, I mean, I talked about it and I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm feeling pretty anxious. I don't think I can do this, but I didn't understand what the panic attacks were. Like people knew I was, I had anxiety, but I, the, the panic attacks were on a whole nother level, which I didn't even really understand. And I didn't, and I think for me, I didn't want to talk about it because I thought I was going like mentally insane Mm. and I didn't want to go to a doctor and be like, Hey man, like I literally think I'm dying all the time and I can't leave my, my room. Like I'm freaking out. It feels like restaurants are caving in on my head. Like what the hell is going on? So I would think I'm having like schizophrenia and all this stuff. And I didn't want to tell a doctor because if I go and, you know, I don't want to end up in the psych ward. So I was, it would just, you'd start thinking about maybe telling someone and then you just go back down the rabbit hole of thinking, okay, like you just go to worst case scenario for everything. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to end up at some insane place and I'm never going to get out again. I'm just going to deal with it and that'll be fine. Right. And so were you doing any research or reading or trying to understand what it was or were you just like locked in this cycle of like Wednesday, you'd feel better, Thursday, Friday, it would start to go downhill and you'd survive another week? So I was locked into that for quite a while, Um, probably almost a year, like a year or two. I was, I was doing that and it was killing me. Like I remember we'd be working on, like we were working on the house when we were supposed to be and I would just still go out and drink. And I had no self-control then or no self-awareness of what I was doing really. And, you know, my brother would be working on the house and I'd have to get up and help. And I remember going out and having to like help him shovel. And I mean, I'm in no state to be doing any manual labor at this point. Like I could barely get out of bed. And I just remember like trying to shovel, standing there like, man, like I thought, I was just leaning against a tree thinking like, I'm going to pass out and like never wake up. Like this feels like, I don't even understand. But I think when, when it hit me, I didn't do any research on it at all until I hit my worst. So when I did that for about a couple of years and then it just, it progressively just got a little bit worse and worse. And then one weekend I went out and I drank three nights in a row and it was actually my birthday weekend and I woke up on the Sunday morning and it was like, it had to be 10,000 times worse than any other hungover morning I've had. I woke up and I can't even explain the feeling. It was honestly like my brain was just gone. I couldn't feel anything. Um, I had no emotions. If I, I couldn't laugh. I couldn't be happy. I couldn't be sad. Um, it was a really, and I was, and I was fully in the, the panic was worse than I've ever had it before. And it wouldn't 
go away. I, I remember that morning, and I, and I was scared. Like, I had no idea what was going on. I thought for sure I... I was. I thought I would just ruin my brain. I was like, "There's no coming back from this. I'm gonna have to try and live like the rest of my life feeling like this." And I got up, and my friend wanted to go in into town and to go to Best Buy and then grab some food. So I thought, "Okay, I'll I'll see what happens." So we went to Best Buy, and I remember just he went inside, and, and he's like, "Hey, you gonna come in?" I was like, "No, no, I'm good. I'm just gonna wait in the car." Because there was not a chance I could go inside a store or anything. And I just got out of the car and I was just pacing up and down the parking lot. And I was just, I don't even, I was just thinking the whole time, like, what? I was just trying to be sane and not, I don't even know. I was just trying to comprehend everything that was going on. And then we went to Cactus Club and I went in there. I sat at the table for probably 30 seconds and just had to go outside. I thought I was going to, like, it was insane. I I don't even know. It felt like, it it felt like... It, it was way worse than it's ever been. Like, normally I could sit somewhere for a little bit and kind of, I'd sort of feel it coming on. I'd have to go outside, but it was way worse than that. And, and I, I left, I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink, I couldn't do anything. It was like my whole body was just like going in, like just like, I don't even, going inside out on itself. It was a crazy feeling. And then I went home and I was supposed to go to my parents that night for dinner for my for my birthday and I canceled on them. I said, there's not a chance I can come. Like, I've just got to stay home. And I would normally watch a movie at night when I was hung over or those kind of things and it would kind of just take my mind off of things and just let me forget about it and, you know, just like get into the movie. And I couldn't, I couldn't even comprehend anything. Like, I'd be watching a movie and I wouldn't be able to understand what was even going on. Like, mm-hmm. I'd just be watching it and people would be talking and, and stuff and I would be hearing this, but nothing would be making sense in in my in my head it was like brain fog like times a lot and so were you scared at this point and yeah so so this is the point i was scared <laughs> so i can imagine because you know you're still young and you're going through this and were you doing any drugs at the time too uh yeah we were doing we were doing drugs um, on the weekends mm-hmm. uh, when we were partying, but I wasn't like crazy hardcore street drugs or uh, weed, or mainly like- mainly cocaine and MDMA. Mm-hmm. That's all. I, I mean, I wouldn't say that's all. <laughs> that's all I ever did. Like it's a normal thing, but yeah, that that would be yeah. That's what I was doing. I, I never smoked weed because it made my. I would instantly get a panic attack if I smoked weed. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, which is the opposite of I hear everybody. I mean, right now everybody's talking about it with all the cannabis law changes mm-hmm. and you know. Oh, like it just calms me down. But I think what people don't realize is that it's really particular to the individual. And for some people, it'll light them up and other people, it'll calm them down. For some people, it suppresses their appetite and other people, it makes them eat a ton. So, you know, it's not a one size fits all. No. And I think for the drugs, actually, too, after, I mean, I even remember one morning we were in Kelowna for Center of Gravity. It's a music festival up there. And we would go to these things and you would do MDMA and watch the show and whatever you feel good and it's a good time. But I think that's, I mean, and the drugs started triggering it a little bit more too. And I remember one morning, because what people do with it is, you know, you can either swallow the pill or you can put it in water um, and dissolve it. So uh, that's what a lot of the people do. You dissolve it in the water bottle and you would just kind of sip it throughout the show. And I remember waking up the next morning and when you, you're super thirsty, like you wake up and you're like fully dehydrated. So I remember waking up and just grabbing the first water water bottle I saw on the side of the bed. And I grab it and I chug the whole thing back. 
and then I just put it down. And I thought, holy shit, like, was that full of drugs? And I started freaking out. And I, I, did, I wasn't sure if it was or not. But then I started panicking, thinking, holy shit, like, this is going to hit me. So I'm sitting there for half an hour, like, waiting, just waiting, like, <laughs> is this, what's going to happen? And nothing happened. But I just, after, after, I just started linking everything to this. So then I would, I would, I'd be scared to leave my water bottle somewhere. And I mean, I'm at a restaurant with like my family. I'd be like, oh shit, did someone like put drugs in my drink? And then I wouldn't drink the water. I'd literally just throw it out. And I, and I, it, it was weird. Like I'd get to a point where I would have to fill, like visually watch myself fill the water up. And if the water was in another container that someone filled, then I wouldn't drink out of that. Cause I'm like, someone could have put something in there. And it just mm-hmm. got really weird. Like I was so scared of feeling like any of these things before had made me felt it yeah it was very weird and so at this point so i get how scary that can be as well to think like if you go to a doctor you know they're going to diagnose you with something and then you just are on the train the drugs start coming in which i've seen happen we had a you know wonderful friend of ours and you know he was starting to feel quite anxious and you know he was definitely much older you know double your age um but just overwhelmed by life like you know Mm -hmm. running a business and family and everything like that and it took him about 15 not even 15 minutes Uh, the doctor said you know i think you need to go see a psychiatrist i'm gonna refer you saw the psychiatrist and within less than 10 minutes he had a prescription drug and um and then that was it. He's like, okay. And the doc was just like, come back in a couple of weeks. If they're not working, we'll give you something else. Well, he finished the whole um, prescription within a week. And then he was out there hopping from pharmacy to pharmacy, trying to get refills and everything like that. So it is, and I and I see so many of those stories through my clients that they could tell us, you know, and it is a slippery slope, right? So I can understand your hesitation. Number one, in being labeled, I imagine, mm-hmm. right? And being diagnosed with something. But then of course, like, what are they going to do for you? Are they going to lock you up? So what do you do at this point? You're in your 20s. You are experiencing this. You're running a business. You own a home. Um, you're experiencing the worst panic attacks. And now you have the paranoia around you know people lacing your water with <laughs> drugs and so what do you do next um, it must have been like so hard so at this point I tried to ride it out because that's what I did every other time so when it would hit me when I was hungover I'd ride it out for the day the next day I'd wake up and I would be like a lot better um, and I was expecting the same thing to happen this time so I thought you know what this is really really bad but I'm just going to get through today. I can do whatever I have to do. And then I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll just, I'll should be better and, and I'll deal with it then. So I did that and I woke up the next day and it was no better. It, it never got any better, really. It just got worse this time. So I, I did that for about a week. And that was, had to be the longest week of my life. Like I So felt- you stayed in a panic attack for a week? Oh or- yeah. Yeah. I was like full on, like if I got out of bed, it it would be like I would stand up to get water from the kitchen and I would have the most insane panic attack anxiety ever. I would, my entire body would just be shaking and I would just be trying to fill up a water, like a glass of water and I would just go back and lay in bed. I would get in the shower and just start same thing. I would just think I'm going insane. Um, so and did you stay in bed for a week? Like yes. How, oh yeah. You I was, couldn't go out. No, I didn't do anything. I was in bed for a week and then and did you just call in sick? Tell your yeah, I just told my business partner. I was like, man, this is like the craziest thing I've ever experienced. I don't know. And and him and I had talked about that kind of stuff before because he had actually told me he was in the psych ward once because I told him I was scared of that happening, mm-hmm. and he told me that that happened to him 
and you know he actually helped me quite a bit by just you know you know he's like don't worry about it all like you can't think like that I'm like okay what like but at the time I didn't have a choice but um yeah I just told him I was like man like I can't even move like get out of bed I, I don't know what to do this is insane and he's like oh like it's all good whatever um so I did that for a week and nothing got better at all and I, I actually ended up doing this for about two months I, I I was just at home basically dying um and your brother like does he notice something's he, going he on noticed or? but it, or does he just think you're like you know, in your twenties, <laughs> drinking, partying, whatever. No, he he knew, um, and we were he, we talked about, it and he's like, man, like you got to do something, like get up or exercise or eat. And I was like, man, like I can't, like it was so bad. I I was eating nothing. Like I, there's my basically like my my body was shutting down. It didn't matter what I drank for water, it would just go right through me. It didn't matter what I ate, it would go right through me. I was constantly like dehydrated. I, I would I would eat a bowl of soup an entire week. That's all I would eat. And so you must have been losing tons of weight at this time. Oh yeah. I was, and it was just getting worse because I wasn't, I couldn't even eat or do anything. So my body was just like literally just shutting down as the days went by. And then I finally, he's like, you got to go to the doctor. So he put me in the car, takes me to the doctor and the doctor basically, you know, was my family doctor. He looks at me and we talk for five minutes and he says, okay, just take these out of van and you'll be good. Like and just do th- what's out of van just for our listeners. So they know what it is. Um, it's just, I honestly don't really, I, well, I know what it is. You just take it and it, it's, it's really calming, I guess. Like my mom takes it when she goes on an airplane. I've never taken one, so I don't mm-hmm. know how it feels, but it's for anxiety just to, it's for, well, I guess it's for panic attacks. Yeah, it's, it's and depression and yeah, yeah, painkiller. It can be used in many different ways. Yeah, so. but it's quite strong. Like mm-hmm. you, you can't drive when you, you're not supposed to drive or do anything when you take them because it makes you very sleepy and stuff like that. So. And did the doctor ask you any questions about your lifestyle? Did he, you know, like what did he say? Okay, first step, take the Ativan and then next step or what was it like? Here's a prescription and hopefully this works. Uh, basically said that and get some exercise. Yeah, he said, take out of that and get some exercise. I'm like, okay, well, man, I'm like, I'm literally dying here. Like, how the hell am I supposed to exercise? And did you tell him you were having panic attacks or what did you tell him at this point? Because I'm always so fascinated in the interaction between a patient and their doctor when they're going through things and the types of questions that the doctors ask the patient and the types of things that the patient will tell the doctor. Because at the end of the day, you're looking for a solution. And a lot of times for patients, they're just looking for relief right from Mm -hmm. their symptoms it's like hey this is what's going on what should i take you know i've got diarrhea okay let's take this i've got a headache okay let's take this and but your case is a little bit different because you can't eat you're Mm -hmm. a young you know guy in your 20s um that looks fit you know i imagine except Mm -hmm. for now you're losing tons of weight um you're having panic attacks anxiety and the doctor says here's some ativan pretty much i mean i i told him I told him pretty much the whole story I'm telling here uh, in, in a short form. I just said, this is what's happened. I was doing, I was drinking. This is how I was eating. This is how I was sleeping. These, I was doing these drugs. Um, and this is how I felt like the other day, you know, I explained the, the, the way I woke up that one morning and how I've been feeling leading up to coming to see him. And he said, yeah, you're just having bad anxiety and some panic attacks. You're just going to have to take these and, you know, get some exercise. I was like, okay. So... And did, did you do that? No. Okay. <laughs> I, well, I went and got the prescription. I was like, okay, you know what? 
it's weird because it got to that point where it's so bad and that's the point where most people will do what they say they'll take that and i don't know why i didn't take it i've never i've never personally known anyone who's taken drugs for their mental health issues and have got addicted or had negative effects i mean i've never known anyone who's taken them and had a good result i just never known anyone in either position so i didn't i've just always been really against taking things and i I didn't i was really scared to take things that altered my 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 state also because of everything that happened before from the alcohol the sugar and the drugs that's what that did to me and i felt very uncomfortable having something else that was going to make me feel not like me i guess so i mean i went and got the prescription i went home and they just sat there and i i didn't take any of them and i mean i couldn't exercise there wasn't a chance i couldn't even get out of bed so i basically sat there for another week and went back i said man like i'm literally dying like i've i don't know what to say i'm not going to take that stuff i don't know what else to do and he just prescribed it to me again he said okay he's like here's some more like try it because i told him i threw it out he's like just try it like here's some more mm-hmm. um and same thing just back to the exercise and then he wanted to do tests so this i'm like okay let's do some blood tests or something else so i did all these tests he thought i had diabetes um and i don't remember what else but i did I did countless blood tests all the time. I I would go weekly and get blood tests, but everything would come back negative. And I mean, at that point, I didn't give a shit what I had. If I had cancer, I would have been okay with it. I just just wanted to know what was going on because it was basically unexplainable to me. And it was just, the weeks were just going by where nothing was happening. He would just, we'd do a test, I'd wait a week, okay, it's negative, let's try another test. And that's all that ended up happening happening with, with my family doctor until I basically just gave up on a regular doctor. So, okay, so all these tests, and this is something that I hear over and over again with my clients when we do their intakes, is that they've been going for years for tests. Um, I have a friend right now, actually, 10 years, couldn't understand why her hemoglobin wasn't, you know, high enough, can never get it up. She was always tired, you know, multiple, multiple blood tests. And again, you know, nobody ran the actual blood test that she needed to have. And unfortunately, the results weren't good, finally. And, you know, and one of the doctors had the nerve to say, one of the oncologists is like, why'd you let this go for so long? And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I have been coming to multiple doctors for 10 years trying to understand why my body feels so weak. It's tired. I eat well. I do all of this. And everybody just, you know, wrote me off as, or wrote her off as, you know, well, you've had a baby. Okay, well, you've had another baby. You know, that's exhausting. Or you work too much. Or you do all of that. They want to brush it off and, you know, on everything else. And it's expensive to run these tests, so I get it. But for the most part, even when the tests happen, they still come back negative. Mm-hmm. Right? Meanwhile, um, well, tell us what happens next, because I'm really curious about what you do. So you do, you kind of give up on your family doctor, and you're like, this isn't getting at me anywhere. Yeah, I haven't been to him since. I haven't been to any normal doctor since. Um, so normal doctor, meaning like a medical yeah, GP? Yeah, like a GP, yeah. yeah. I haven't been to one of them in, yeah, five years now. I mean, so I don't what, think you should never go, but I just yeah. haven't had a reason since. Okay, so you haven't had a reason since. So what do you do now? Where do you go? Um, and I guess, well, I went to... A natural path. I so when to give a little bit of a timeline quickly, the the time like when I woke up on my, you know my where I pushed myself over the edge that morning. That was in October, the middle of October, and I went 
my first, so I, I dealt with my doctor until the end of the year. I went to see a naturopath in on January 8th. Mm-hmm. So it was basically three months of just laying in bed, dying, getting tests done before I decided to do something else. And, and I'd looked what in, made you decide to go see a naturopath? Um, Did you know about naturopaths? Had you, somebody else suggested that you go see one? People had suggested it along with other things. And I've just, I don't know. I mean, I've just never believed in the Western medical system that much. And... I don't know. I, I, don't, I honestly don't really remember fully why. I just had to try something else. I mean, the original reason why I hadn't gone is because they're expensive. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, like I will try my normal doctor and see what happens and do some tests. And I basically just got to the point where I didn't care who I saw. I just, it got to the point where I just wanted to go see everybody. And like the next on my list was a natural path because I didn't know about all the specialists and other things because mm-hmm. a natural path is still like, it's, it's basically like a GP for holistic stuff, I guess. They yeah. just kind of deal with everything. So I decided I don't care anymore. I'm going to, I'm just going to go see what other people have to say. And I just looked up the best natural path. I could. And at this point I stopped caring about anything money related. I wanted to see the best person I could see. So I went to the most expensive natural path I could find. And I did that because I wanted it to be good. I didn't want to go to some like lady in her backyard that I'm spending 50 bucks. I wanted to go to some place where I was going to get ideally the best results or information. So I went to, I started going to this natural path and I mean, it, it was good. And when I, I mean, the first thing we did, I, I went in, I explained my whole situation by going through the doctor, doing these tests, and everything's coming back negative, and I have no idea what's going on. And he had me do more blood tests because he wanted to check other things, thyroid and, I don't know, a bunch of stuff. I had tons of tests done by him as well. But he, I mean, at least there, the first thing I liked was that he, you're not there for five minutes. I was in, our first consultation was an hour. We went over everything. I mean, they spend a lot of time with you. And then he, we started doing with the diet changes. So the first day he's like, okay, you've got to cut the sugar and all this stuff out of your diet. Cause this is how it affects you and all that. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. Then let's. And did you tell him you had a sugar addiction or was he able, did he ask you questions? About yeah. That? I told him about all, I told him about all the eating habits and, and that kind of stuff. Same thing as before. So yeah, he knew about all that. So he said, yeah, you've got to cut the sugar all and that was the first thing we did. We cut all the sugar and then also, oh yeah, so we cut the sugar and then we did one of those food allergy tests and that I had to wait a while for. So again, I just found everything was a long period of a time. So I would mm-hmm. go in, okay, cut the sugar. We went over all my health history and then I leave and I wait two weeks for this test to come back. So it's another two weeks goes by. I just cut out sugar and I mean, it doesn't, at the end of the day, it doesn't make you feel like you don't notice it that fast. If anything, now I'm just going through withdrawals. And did you go through withdrawal? Um, well, I, I, th- with- I think those three months were an entire withdrawal from everything that I was doing. I mean, I, I still felt it then. I mean, I felt it for a long time after, after that. I did, w- did you have to count out the alcohol as well? Yeah, I mean, at that point, I hadn't been drinking anyways. Like, I'd cut alcohol and caffeine. I'd cut everything out after that morning. When I woke up, so over the past three months, for those three months, I had no alcohol, no caffeine. I mean, I could barely eat. I was just, right. I was just eating whatever I could kind of like get in me. And so 
yeah, I was in way too much of a panic to alcohol, like to even look at alcohol because that's what I was linking to my cause, like mm-hmm. was all my drinking and stuff. Because I woke up after that night, so I would look at a, a beer can and I would start like having a panic attack, even thinking about drinking it. Right. And yeah, so I cut the sugar, and then we did the food allergy test, and then I came back in two weeks, and then we cut the gluten out, um, and then came back in two weeks we cut the eggs out and it was just really slow dietary changes that I went through with him and there was nothing really beyond that that we did and did your allergy test show that eggs and gluten were an issue yeah they did that was or that and pineapple but again I just like I was just searching for that answer and it was tough because I would get this test back and like what so now I'm looking at it thinking, okay, what, well, I'm just going to not eat gluten and eggs and pineapple and now I'm going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Like, like, how does this really work? Like, I get what it, I get it, but I was still really confused. I'm like, this isn't an answer. This is just kind of, um. Yeah. So now you're at the point where it's like no drugs, no alcohol, no caffeine, no pineapple, no gluten and no eggs. And are you feeling better at all in mm, any of this time? Not really. You still are in that state? Yeah. And, and I think. I think the problem is I I was trying, I mean, when you're in those states, you're trying to link it to something. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, and that's how everyone's perceived to think of, of any illness or anything that's going on is that there's a, there's a single causation for it. And that's what I was looking for. I'm like, man, there's got to be something like he's doing all these blood tests. I'm like, do them again. Like there has to be one thing. Like I thought, because people would message me like, oh, like, I had anxiety and then I just took magnesium pills. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so is it my magnesium? Like, can I just take these pills and I'm going to be fine? And there's just no, I, that was the hardest part for me to, ex- to accept is that there's no one thing that is going to fix it. It's, yeah. it's your entire lifestyle that's built up to cause this. It's not just because you're low in magnesium. I mean, maybe some people are and it helps, but for my situation, it wasn't. And so, and I love how you say that because of the fact that, um, you know, I mean, you just went through a nutrition and detox coaching program and we teach you like when you're working with a client, you, you, you're not there to find one answer. It's often a multitude of things. And even just this conversation with you, you know, parents divorce. So there's, you know, we'll call it trauma, like emotional, psychological, um, trauma, even, if it wasn't, you know, a big crazy divorce, there's, you know, maybe the arguing. And then I love what Kim John Payne says. He said for a lot of children, um, they don't have to go through like a severe hardcore trauma, what they can suffer from just on a day in day out basis. It's called cumulative stress disorder. So it's just little tiny stressors like the fighting with your brother, maybe parents arguing, going back and forth between parents. And cumulative stress disorder, what he found in kids um, is that, and later on in adults, is that they can actually suffer from post-traumatic stress due to cumulative stress disorder at the same rate that somebody who is raped or suffers the death of a parent or something else that you know we might classify as hugely traumatic and so um, it's really important for parents to know that these little tiny stressors every day do build up and can lead to things like anxiety and panic attacks and depression and, you know, stress on the body and, and lots of other things. But at the end of the day, we can't just look at one thing because as well, just like your life has shown, um, you have that stress from the divorce. You also have stress from fighting with your brother. You also have stress from the sugar and what's that, what that's doing to your body. And then you buy a house and start a business and, you know, then you add alcohol and drugs and all of that. So was it any one of those things? And maybe not. 
mm-hmm. right? It could have been something entirely different that you've never even been tested before. Like some of my clients, it ends up coming back that it's lead and mercury poisoning that, you know, is contributing to so many of their health issues. And some of us may never, ever find out why, because it's expensive to go through these testing. So let's go back to the story with the naturopath. You are working with the naturopath. You've cut out these things, um, and but you're not actually really getting better. So at what point do you start to notice changes, or what do you do next? Um, well, so I was working with him, and, and he prescribed me some natural pills, which with that I was okay with. So I, we tried St. John's wort, and I had some GABA. And the GABA is what I kind of use. The, the GABA is the one thing that I used and I only used it if I had was having an extreme panic attack. So I'd, if I was having a, like a, if a panic attack came on, I would have like a half or one of those and just chew it, and that would work for me. Um, but everything, anything else that he ever prescribed me to buy did not work, or I found it made no difference because I was again looking for that one thing. I'm like, okay, like if I, what's what's one thing you can give me that's going to help me right now where it's going to all go away, and there just isn't one. So as I was going along with him, I would go in and then we would do the food, you know, I would change my diet and then he would prescribe me all these pills and I would try them for about a week. And then I would just put them in the cupboard and never touch them again because I didn't notice anything that was happening. And this went on for another three months where instead of my normal doctor and I was going to naturopath, but we, and the dietary changes were very slow. So I would go like, I did the food allergy test and we cut eggs and gluten. And then he's like, okay, I'd go another two weeks, maybe cut meat out now. Or well, it wasn't even meat. It was cut out chi- or it was cut out red meat. I'd go back in two weeks. Okay, maybe stop eating pork. And I'd go back another two weeks. Don't eat a little bit less chicken. I was like, this is fine. But, and then, he, but every time I would, I would be there twice a week because I was so scared. I would show up and I would feel fine when I was there, like talking to him, we were going over it and he's telling me these things. But then when I would leave and go back out into the real world and I would buy the pills and do the food, it wasn't happening as fast as I wanted it to. So two days would go by and be having crazy panic attacks and the stuff he was taking was making no difference. So I would call and make an appointment right again. I would go back on Thursday and be like, man, like this isn't working. Like I need something like this is, I can't deal with this. And that went on for, again, like that went on for three months and I just kept going back and and nothing I, I but then I started to notice over the over the months that the pills weren't working but I was very very slowly starting to feel better like after the three month point I could feel changes but this was nothing major it's not like like I couldn't go back to work I was still at this point just laying in my bed pretty much all day and this is six months and so your partner's running the business at this point yeah he was just I I mean yeah, there was nothing I could do. I said, man, like, I don't know what to do. I, said, I can't work. I can't do anything. This is, and he said, just, you know, do whatever you've got to do. And, you know, when, if we've got extra money, we can use that and uh, to pay for the natural path, like we'll just do whatever we've got to do to make sure that you can get better and come back and work. That's a pretty amazing business partner that you had. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I got lucky with that. Yeah. So, perfect. And just for people who don't know, GABA is a supplement that um, is often given for people who have stress or anxiety or uh, depression. And basically what it's supposed to do, it's helped to boost the brain's GABA levels um, to treat those symptoms. And so it is a supplement. Natural paths use it. I believe it's not prescription. You can get it. You can buy it anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not anywhere, but yeah, you can buy it in any... 
Okay. Those, like health food stores, they have them. Okay, so did that little bit of, you know, when you say that you start to notice a little bit of change um, happening, did that motivate you to keep going? And what did you do next? Yeah, it did. And at this point, I was starting to add in the exercise as well. But my <laughs> the exercise, I remember our house was in the middle. Well, it was about, yeah, it was in the middle of a block. But there was still two stop signs to the end of the block. So he's like, just go for a walk, do anything, get outside. Like you don't have to go for a 20 mile run, just get outside and walk, even if it's for five minutes. And I remember the first time I left my, my front door and I took a left and I walked to the stop sign and I thought I was gonna die. Like I was so scared to just make it to this stop sign and I turned around and came straight back, like went inside, right back to my bed. I was like, holy shit, like, I can't believe I even made it that far. And it took me months to even make it to the end of the block, wow. which to most people seems insane. It's like, okay, what the hell's wrong with you? Why can't you just walk around the block once and come back? But it, it, it seems weird. But when you're, when you're there in the moment, it's so real that you, I, I mean, I got so scared to go around the block because I, cause when I got to the halfway point, I thought like, it's going to be, it's going to be the same time if I turn around or go forward that if I like die here or start having a problem, like I'm not gonna be able to make it home in time or, or something. And I would have these crazy thoughts and it took me three months just to be able to, to walk around the block, which is wow. quite insane. But not well, <laughs> you know, as you were telling that part of the story, it just made me remember after I gave birth to my kids and wanting to go outside and just breathe fresh air and to go for a walk. But your body, like your pelvis is out, um, you're exhausted, um, you are excited, your like hormones are all over the place. And I do remember thinking like, I'm just going to go walk to the store pushing the stroller and I'm going to come back and halfway I just stopped walking because I had such an extreme fatigue just come over me that and exactly the same thing that I remember thinking I'm halfway between the store and home which way should I go because if I don't make it home and I don't make it to, st to the store where will there be the most people that I can at least call for help to be like help me get somewhere, whether it's to a doctor or just to get back home into my bed or to whatever it is. And it was a re very real feeling. And it, and I remember when I got, I chose to turn around, came back home, just barely made it home, grabbed the baby, sat on the couch. And I mean, I my hips were out. So there was like tons of pain from that. Um, like everything. And it, this was only a few days after having a baby. And I remember telling this story to my midwife, just like kind of laughing about it. And for her, she was like, no, like this is very, very serious. Because when you're in that state, I mean, you're not thinking well, your hormones are like so crazy out of whack and you truly are exhausted. Like you haven't built back your blood yet. And it is a very, like that fear that I had was a very real fear. And it's why she's like, you know, do not leave the house in the, not just in the first few days of having a baby, but in the first few weeks, like it takes a good three weeks to just get your body back. And I remember thinking like, how is that possible? Like it literally was two blocks away. And it th being at home thinking like I can do this and then being stuck in the middle of it and truly, truly, it, you know, being afraid. So I can't even imagine what that was like for you. But what I think is truly remarkable is that you just stuck with it, right? Like you kept trying it and going out and taking a little bit further. And we do know from the studies um, 
when, when it comes to antidepressants, especially um, in anti-anxiety meds, that just getting out and walking and for not even 20 minutes, we're talking about for two minutes getting outside, often that works better than most drugs that are out there on the market, pharmaceutical drugs that you could take. So I just, you know, commend you for doing that. So then what happens after this? Three mo- Another three months goes by, you're... You're able to make it two blocks now? <laughs> no. <laughs> I never really went much further than a block. Okay. Um, but, I, yeah, I just kept going with the natural path, and I just didn't know what else to do. I mean, it was the first thing that was making a difference, so I just, you know, the food was was working a little bit, and, and that's the only thing that, that to me was making a difference. But it was just really tough because I was still linking – everything i would just start having panic attacks about the littlest thing so he would tell me don't eat eggs and if i ate something didn't know there was an egg in it i would start freaking out thinking mm. like this is going to make me go like back to where i was and i was linking everything to like that initial day that i woke up so no matter what i did if it was like anywhere close to that i would just link it and um and what were you eating then so you know and i mean i know the answer I would give to most of my clients because they'll say to me things like, well, if I'm not going to eat meat and cheese and eggs and gluten, then there's nothing left to eat. So I know that there's a lot to eat. But at this point, though, nobody's telling you what to put into your diet, are they? Was your natural path suggesting what to eat? Not like he was giving me some, basically, I would eat like I would cut raw veggies up, have those as a snack. I would have nuts or and he said to eat organic food. So I would try and I would try and buy organic. But there was never... There wasn't much guidance on, I mean, how to prepare or what kind of meals to make. It just said, eat these ingredients and that's fine. So I would make quinoa and just put veggies on top, but I was still making lots of meat because they never, the chicken and fish are always classified as fine Mm -hmm. and like as healthy. So that's one thing that I was always eating a lot of still. So I would eat. And I would eat out a lot at, the, at a restaurant in Fort Langley because they allow you to sub and they have dairy-free and gluten-free options, mm-hmm. which still to me now aren't necessarily healthy. Like if I was in that situation again, I would have never eaten that. Right. But I would just order those and I would be, I would just get no cheese and, you know, I'd get, they have a chicken avocado wrap. So I would get a chicken avocado wrap and just get no cheese and think that was still healthy, right. which at the end of the day, it's just not. Yeah. And so at what point do you start to feel well like you continue to work with the same natural path yeah so I stayed with the same natural path and I just kept eating and I mean the food I was just kind of figuring out myself I never I mean after a certain point when he says stop eating all this stuff well there's nothing else you can do I mean I I just kept doing tests through him and different um like different he did like cranial sacral therapy. Okay. So he would do that to me and then we would do a heavy metals test and then I would do heavy metals chelation and then... And did your heavy metals come back as high? Yeah, they were like a little bit high, but, but nothing, nothing Yeah, so, not life-threatening. So still no real answers as to what's going on. No, so there was no answers. And, and I just kept doing these tests or different things. And there was tons of them. And I... Yeah, there was never a real answer. I mean, things would come back a little bit high. Okay, yeah, we should do this. So I was just forking out money to do this stuff because I was hoping the next one would be an answer. And then I started to go see other people too. I went and saw a neuro... It was some sort of neuroscience... Not neuroscience, but some sort of neuro... 
I don't even know. Psychologist. But yeah, or, they, yeah. They, they put these little things on your head and you answer these questions and do all this stuff for about an hour. And then they have this whole sheet that monitors your brain and how it's working and tells you the rundown. And when I went and did that, it came back and they said that I had brain damage from alcohol abuse and other things. So that freaked me out. What? Okay, I, so hold on. Let's talk about this. You get this. So they, okay, I want to know how they said you had the brain damage. So no MRI though? No. They, they, no CAT scan? No, you, they stick these pads like all over like mm-hmm. your head, like on sensory areas it must be. And then I forget what I was doing, but I was sitting in front of a computer screen and doing all these activities and stuff on the screen and it was all linked together and they print out this big form and it tells you a lot of things it's not just Mm -hmm. okay it wasn't it wasn't like just you have brain damage it says like okay you're 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 better at at creative things or um it just went through i don't remember fully what it said the all I was really focusing on was the red part that said I had brain damage because I was so, I mean, I didn't give a shit if I was creative at that point. I was like, I'm dying. I have nothing to create. I just want to live. Right. So I'm looking at this brain damage part thinking, holy shit, like I literally ruined my, my brain. And that's the interesting part because of the fact that, you know, we see people who drink 10 times more than you do. We see people who do drugs, you know, they're living on the streets and they live well until they're, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s and so on. And everybody processes drugs differently. Everybody processes alcohol differently for sure. So I'm just so fascinated by this. I think after the episode, I want to find out what it is and who you went to go see. And I would love to go like just for me, just to be curious, because I think at the end of the day, what I love about your story is that number one, you just said it yourself. You're like, I don't want to die. I want to live. And I think that's a really important um, piece that people need to remember because I definitely work with clients. And when I do ask them that question straight out at the beginning of the session, you know, do you want to live? Sometimes their answers are like, no, actually, I don't want to live. And my very first client actually had said that to me. And that's when I knew I needed to go back and and get some coaching training. And uh, unfortunately, I had a background in psychology from school. And so I knew definitely that there was, you know, certain coaching techniques to use. But I saw that my clients needed that just as much as they needed to know about which foods to eat and which toxins to eliminate. So you go and get this done. And so does this terrify you more? Does this trigger a panic attack? The fact that you've they're telling you you have brain damage from alcohol? I didn't have a panic attack, but I was scared. But I was also, I was a little bit relieved because at least I had, at this point I had some sort of sign. I was like, okay, I've damaged my brain. Now what? Like, do I go and see it and like go to a neurologist and see what he says? And I never did because I was too scared I would have a brain tumor or some sort of something going on in my brain um, that I had that I had done. So I never, I, on the brain stuff, I never went beyond that. I went to this place, got it back and that's it. I just, you know, I went home and told my brother and stuff like, Hey, I have brain damage. <laughs> like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, so I, I, there was nothing beyond that. I have no real science behind it. It was just the sheet that I had. So did you start, so did you ever drink again or was that the end for alcohol for you? Um, I've drank since, but mm-hmm. years later, Okay. Yeah. It took, I mean, so I guess I went to the neuroscience or the neuro place and then I was just still with the natural path for about that entire year. And the, what else did I do that year? Oh, so the natural path referred me to his mom who does energy readings. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought, I'm not going to go. This guy's just referring me to his mom <laughs> to make money, right? Like I was super skeptical about everything. 
It's like, I, I don't, like, what the hell is this going to do? So I prepaid for it, and I remember I was going to go, and this was one of, the, like, I was having a really bad day. I woke up, and she, her place was downtown on Cole Harbor. It's like, okay, I do not want to drive downtown, park, deal with all that kind of stuff. It just, that was not really an easy thing for me to do. But I already paid for it, and I thought, you know what, what's the worst that can happen? I'm just going to try it. So I forced myself to go, and I'd never had one done before. She, I was pretty nervous and, and weirded out by it all, but I went in and just laid down, and she said, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. You, I'm, you're just going to lay on the bed. I'm going to touch your joints and maybe use some sense, and that's about it. It'll take an hour, and then we'll go over everything I write down. So I'm thinking, this is weird. What's she going to tell me? So when it's done, and yeah, I, she went over basically everything that I was thinking through my head and how stuck in my head I was about trying to find that one answer. She said, you're just trying to find something to hold on to, but you can't find it. And that's what most of the reading was about and went through, is that I'm trying to find this one, I need something, because mm-hmm. I had nothing to hold on to. I had no clue what I was even, what was going on. And I felt I felt really good after I left there and I think it I mean it that helped me because that's I think that's a big thing is not getting caught up on trying to find that one thing because it's not ever one thing it's it's if you got to think about that it's your entire life that has formed you into this mm-hmm. into what has happened and so many things come into play that it's never going to be one thing and I was having a really tough time letting that go mm-hmm. so I think after that, I just kept, I was just kept going with the food and everything else. And basically a year had gone by and I did that. And after the year, I was starting to feel better. Like I, I went back to work after a year. I basically had a year wow. off. So I started going back and, and I mean, it was very slow progression. I would go back to work, but I would bring a pillow and a blanket and, and sometimes I would be working and, and all of a sudden I would just feel in my head, like, I don't feel good, it, you know, and I would just have to go and I would just sometimes sleep at work for two hours. I'm sorry, I can't do anything else. And then I would get up and do a little bit more and then go home. Um, so it took a long time to get, to get even back to work. Yeah. And that's amazing because of the fact that, you know, you're in a position where you could do that. You know, it was your own business. You were able to bring the pillow and the blanket to work. Um, I don't know how many employers would, you know, support their staff going through that. That would be pretty challenging. Um, And, you know, so it seems like everything was in place for you to be able to have that year to explore and try different things and, and do that. And it's really important for people to know too, because I see it all the time where people say, well, that's too expensive. I can't do it, or I'm not going to do it. Um, and which I get, you know, some people just don't have that money to be able to do that. Um, and so they continue to push through it, right. With mm-hmm. the coffee and with the alcohol at night, coffee the next day in the morning, sugar at two o'clock to keep them up. So what happens after this? You, you still continue. You've seen an energy worker, the natural path. You've had some cranial sacral done. Do you see anybody else? No, I didn't really see, I didn't see many other people. I, I see my breath work coach now, but I don't, that wasn't back then. I, I just was doing... I mean, I would look up a lot of things. And I would try meditation and I would try yoga and things, but I was still just not really in a state. I don't think I was in a state for it to, it to work. Like meditation's fine, but when you're in such a panic and your body can't function, you can't just sit there and meditate. I don't think it, 
it helps. Um, it, at least it wasn't an option for me. I couldn't sit there and focus and just meditate. I, my body was, it just wasn't in a place for that. So I just kept going with the food. Um, and that's really what I noticed made a difference. So I, I just kept going with that. And I, and I slowly just kind of fell off of the natural path. I would just start going less and less as I started to feel better. And as I started to feel better, I was just kind of realizing, okay, every time I come here, I'm just spending all this money on these other things that I'm not really doing and not feeling a lot. Uh, I'm not getting a lot out of. So I, yeah, I just stuck to the food and that was pretty, yeah. I think that's a good point that you bring up though too, especially because I have a lot of natural paths that will refer their patients to me. And you know, and I'm not trained as a naturopath. I'm trained in, to teach people how to put food into their body. We don't do elimination. Um, or, you know, we definitely do from the standpoint that we're like, okay, nothing processed or refined, right? No processed sugars, no processed oils, no processed, um, you know, anything at all. And it all really is just whole fruits and vegetables and some grains and things like that. So it's definitely all about putting the abundance of those foods in and getting out all the anything that has a label um but that's the part that I see because even in nutrition schools and when I thought about applying and after I did my pre-med courses I did look at medical school which ended up being the option I wanted to go down and I was also the reason why I didn't go down the naturopathic route is because of the fact that they didn't have a dietary component that was substantial it was really all came down to these elimination diets and what I see with our clients and why I see that they get really good results is because they're actually actually putting an abundance of nutrients into their body. It's not what you take away. It's the foods that you put in. Um, and that's where we see the huge changes and why people are able to reverse all kinds of diseases. Um, another part that was interesting is, a you know, talking about the energy worker. And I just think that is very cool that you still went and did it um, after having never done anything like that before. Because, you know, as you know, in our nutrition and detox coaching program, we teach about the whole health team and the whole health team just for audience out there. It's really when you, you know, the easiest way to do it is to make a list and the list can be as long as you want. And you just in every line on that list, you're putting a different type of practitioner. So it might be a TCM, a traditional Chinese medicine doctor, a naturopath, an endocrinologist, a medical doctor, an oncologist, a chiropractor, um, an energy worker, you know, it could be, and you might have three different types of naturopaths and three different specialties of GPs, maybe one who specializes in sports, you know, injuries and another one who specializes in sports psychology. I mean, really the list can be as long as you want. And what it allows you to do is to say, hey, you know what? I've been trying the GP and it's not working. Or maybe you've been trying a naturopath. That's all you've ever known. And that's not working. Look at your list and then choose another practitioner. It could be I mean, it literally could be a boot camp coach. They don't have to be a medical practitioner. It could just be someone who's going to take you out and help you exercise. It could be a sleep coach and it could be a breath worker. So I want to chat about, um, I want to chat about when did you ever start feeling good? Did you ever start feeling better? Like really, truly a lot better. Honestly, this year, probably uh, about four years after, um, well, let's say last year, 20 beginning of 2018 probably so it was about a four-year period my whole course well, my whole experience with with it at its worst um but yeah I mean it just slowly started getting better and better o over time and and it just took a long time and I think for 
I mean, I did the food and like the elimination, like you were talking about, even a naturopath, what, what I think about now is, I mean, he really did the same thing as my doctor, except with natural supplements. Right. Um, and then, yeah, like the dietary elimination, we just like at the end of the day, when I went there, all we really did was eliminate some foods and then just, I would get prescribed tons of these natural medications, Mm -hmm. which I mean, that's fine, but I think that that's not, again, that's not a way to heal it. So I just started giving up, not giving up, but letting those things go that as I started getting better, I started realizing what was working and that it was the food. So, but I never had any, like if I would have known what I do now, I could have reversed this a lot faster, I think, because I was never even told about juicing or how to prepare foods or any of that thing. So even this whole time when I was making these foods, if I'm steaming or however I'm cooking the vegetables, I'm losing half of the stuff I'm trying to get out of them. So it took a long time to come to come back out of it. So, and throughout the four years, I, I, then I started doing research myself too, because at first I was too scared. I would start reading books about the brain, you know, the brain's way of healing and all these kinds of things. But in the books, they talk about a lot of the problem, like the diseases and problems. And I was, I would start reading and hearing about all the stuff people are having. And I would instantly think that I have that. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't even read. I would start reading books about health and I would just have to put them down because it would scare me so much. Yeah. So I think, but it just, it just slowly started getting getting better there was never a time where I just noticed that I did one thing that that really helped it was just a combination of everything you know I started taking more time to just try and be in the moment and not you know not be worrying about everything or or what I'm you know just all that stuff and yeah like I guess stress management trying to get rid you know taking time at work not worrying about it all and, and stressing about everything and and then, yeah, so I stayed off the coffee, alcohol, and the exercise, getting out more, and, and yeah, it just I it was just a slow and long period. And, I mean, at the end of the day, I was 21, but it was 21 years of abuse I'd given my body, mm-hmm. which then people expect these kinds of things to turn around in two weeks, where when I look back on it in, like, a timeline point, it's like, okay, I was literally killing myself till I was 21, and then it took me a few years to get myself fully back to like a, a good state. Um, that's not actually so bad. Right. And I think that for listeners hearing that, you know, so many people do want that immediate fix, like an antibiotic. You go in with an infection, you take the antibiotic in 24 to 48 hours, you start to see results. And I think we've been, you know, really taught to believe that that is the way healing works in the body. But at the end of the day, that's not really healing, right? Like the antibiotics stop the infection. But then what most people don't know is that when you take antibiotics, there's a high percentage um, or high chance that you're going to suffer from depression within six to six months to a year from one dose of antibiotics. You take two dose of uh, two doses of antibiotics, and that increases. I think it's like to 86% chance that you're going to um, get diagnosed with depression within a year, which is, so even though you treated the infection, now you're paying the price because you have to build up the gut flora, you've killed up all this good bacteria and everything. Um, not to mention a lot of people will find that they end up having to take another dose of antibiotics anyway, because it doesn't even clear up the infection or the illness or whatever it is that the person's suffering from. 
So drugs are great for sure. This is, you know, our show is not to say that pharmaceutical drugs are bad, but it's to really show that there is another way. And I would hate to think what would have happened if you had taken that out of van and you had kept on taking it and what route that, you know, where you could have ended up. But four years, I can imagine for listeners, they're like, oh my God, four years until you start feeling better. So you did hint on the fact that, you know, juicing, is that something you, you know, I know I taught that to you in the uh, nutrition and detox program, but before you decided to sign up for our course, you know, where did you learn um, or did you learn about juicing before that? No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't? No, I never juiced before that. Um, I mean, I've had, there's a local juice and smoothie place in Fort Langley that's right beneath the natural path. And that's half the reason I went to the natural path was because the smoothies were really good. So I would just leave and get a smoothie and it was kind of like a reward thing for me. Um, But no, I never juiced on my own. I just always, I I was never sure about it. And my natural path also, I wasn't allowed, I I wasn't supposed to because of the sugar, right? Everyone talks about juice because of the sugar content. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons that I never did. Um, I never really, yeah, I just never looked into it. All I followed was the food. And the reason that I started looking into the food and and took your course was because that's, at the end of the day, over the four years, what truly made the difference was the food and lifestyle, right? It was everything that I was feeding, you know, my, you know, that I was eating, that I was, you know, it was all that. So that's why I started diving into it. And then after learning about it and, you know, doing it for the past couple months and, and how I was eating before, um, it's definitely a, a big difference. And you've noticed a big difference from doing it. And what Shelby's referring to is that in our course as well, um, in addition to, and, and this is not a show promoting the course, but just to say what um, he's been doing. So when you do the nutrition and detox program, you actually have to do the Gerson therapy for two weeks. And the Gerson therapy, again, for those who are new to it, it really is just a plant-based, whole foods, sodium, refined sodium, refined um which is salt, refined sodium, refined oil, and refined sugar-free lifestyle. And at the end of the day, you can you eat an abundance of food, like more food than you can actually eat. Um, and it's just all organic, whole plant-based foods. And you eat that breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's nothing refined and processed in it. You do the liver detox. And sh- are you taking the supplements? I haven't yet. Oh, you haven't. Okay. And there is a supplement regimen, but really it's not like the supplements that Shelby was talking about earlier, like the GABA that helps with stress. What the supplements actually do is they help with rebuild your organs. So they, a lot of people who have chronic illness, who suffer from anxiety and depression, they have really low hydrochloric acid in their stomach and digestive enzymes. Their pancreas is um, depressed and not working. Their liver's depressed and not working. Their heart is depressed. It doesn't have enough magnesium and potassium. It's depressed and not working, so you're not pumping enough oxygen and other nutrients through your body, and which eventually you know need to get to the brain as well. The brain is so dependent on sugar, but not the refined stuff. It's dependent on glucose that you get from food. Um, most of your food will convert into glucose, or um, your body will even you know take the fat and convert it into glucose to allow the brain to get enough of it. So when we don't have enough good healthy fats, not the refined fats, but the fats that are naturally occurring in a potato and natural naturally occurring in romaine lettuce and naturally occurring in, you know, beans and grains and vegetables and fruits. Um, But you need those natural occurring fats, those natural occurring sugars, natural occurring salts, and natural occurring 
um, carbohydrates and starches and everything in your body. So that's what Shelby's talking about. So you noticed a big difference when you started doing that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I do notice it now. Like if I'm eating that way and juicing and, and doing all of that, and then if I do that for a week or two, and then I kind of fall off the train and eat out and drink on the weekend. And I mean, I don't drink much anymore once every, you know, I get actually drunk once every two months probably. And I don't, I don't drink casual alcohol. I don't just have two beers after work. I don't really drink much at all. Um, but I really notice it. And when I do drink, I start getting those cravings for the, for the refined foods again. So I'll drink on a Friday and then I'll eat refined foods all weekend. And then by the time Monday hits, I just, I have no motivation again. And I'm just, you know, you just get really groggy. And I know it, yeah, so I notice it a lot now when I eat that way, how much better that I feel. And I wish that, I don't, well, I don't wish I could go back to that day, but I wish that I would have known everything I do now that I could have tried it mm-hmm. then and put it in place when I, when I needed it a lot more. I think it would have, I think it would have cut my time down a lot, especially with all the inflammation and brain fog and everything that I was going through. I think it would have brought it down a lot faster instead of just cutting out four different foods actually reversing my entire thing and doing the all the detox and everything i think it would have gone much faster yeah doing everything right from the beginning and it is why i love the gerson therapy because at the end of the day you are detoxifying your body as well as nutrifying it aggressively like it's not a gentle approach um and it's the same i have a chiropractor in vancouver in 17 years i've had to see him maybe 10 times. So like once a year I go, um, you know, versus a lot of other practitioners are like, come back and see me every two weeks. And we need to see you three times this week. I'm like, no, I go to him because he gets the job done immediately. And then I'm good to go for another year. And usually it's because I was rock climbing and pulled out my shoulder or I had a kid and I pulled out my pelvis. Like it's truly from a traumatic, you know, physical injury and then I need to get fixed and he just fixes it. And that I attribute the Gerson therapy to being very similar to that. We just get in, we detoxify the hell out of you really quickly. Um, It does take time, right? But we neutrify aggressively starting day one. Like there's no bullshitting here. It's Mm -hmm. like, you don't get to have a little bit of chicken and a little bit of fish. You don't get to have a little bit of, you know, cheese. There's no cheat days at all. Um, There's no refined products. You can't get your rice puffs. Like if you want rice, you got to cook the damn rice and wait the 40 minutes and let it cool off. And then you need to chew it, right? Like there's none of this garbage, you know, food at all. But it's why our clients get such good results. Um, And then, of course, for the stuff that you can't get, the nutrients you can't get through your food, then you have to take the supplements. But of course, again, those supplements are just to to really kick start the organs that have been depressed and not working well. Um, so that's interesting to hear. I mean, I wish definitely I could have known you back then four years ago, but again, the challenge would have been, and really in true honesty, the Gerson therapy is a lot of work. So what we would have done back then is that if, you know, you had heard about it and thought we want to try this, like I would not have taught it to you because you were in too weak of a state to be able to actually implement it because it is, you're buying organic food, you're chopping and shopping and washing and cooking and you know doing all of that like we would have just literally had you um do the liver detox swallow the supplements and then we would have worked with your family to actually say hey we need people in here cooking cleaning doing all of this stuff and then the only other thing you would have had to do was chew the food and swallow it um because it is a lot of work um so it's important for people to know that that if you want to get aggressive results really quickly you got to get the whole family on board the community on board you got to get help in the kitchen because unfortunately we don't have a lot of places that you can just go out and buy this stuff right 
So I think it's incredible what you did um, and the fact that you're in this place now. You're able to work full-time again? Yeah, I've been working full-time for a couple of years now, yeah. You have? Okay. And have you been able to make it to the end of the block? <laughs> yes, <laughs> much further than that. Okay, so you're able to exercise if you want to. So I want to know about this breathwork. When did you find breathwork and what kind of breathwork is it and what does it look like and how did it help you? Um, it's conscious connected breathing. I've only been doing it since late last year. And it's, I think it's just good for, it, it's very calming. Um, and it helps you release unprocessed emotions. And, and it, if you're going to go do it, you, you lay on a bed and, and it's guided. I, I like the guided one because he shows you where to breathe into. He holds his hand over the certain spots and it helps you guide your breath because most people, especially if you're anxious, you're breathing very shallow and just in your chest. You're not breathing all the way and allowing the oxygen to go to everywhere that it needs to. So yeah, I've been, I mean, basically when I leave, you just feel really calm and like, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, but, um, Zen. Yeah. And and you're just, you your thoughts are, I don't know, you're, you're just in a good place with your thoughts. You're not all over the place and scatterbrained. It's just you can think clearly and you're, you're ready to go. So, and, and I like it because you can practice it on your own. You know, you, you go there for an hour session, but if you do it for yourself 15 minutes every day, it helps a lot. So I think it's nice to have those tools that you can use any time of the day, right? Like if I'm starting to get stressed out and it's 1 p.m., I can just lay it on the couch and do some breathing for 10, 15 minutes and then get up and keep going. Yeah. And I like that because earlier when you mentioned, you know, trying to sit down and meditate, it can be really, really challenging when your brain is so scrambled and being a business owner as well. I know that when, you know, you have troubles in the business and you need to solve problems or you just have so much to do, your brain is trying to figure out which task to do first, that it all feels so overwhelming that trying to sit down and meditate in that time is actually super challenging Mm -hmm. and you feel like a failure, right? Because you can't even calm your mind for 30 seconds or 10 seconds and you have a million thoughts coming in and then you're like, what's the point versus everybody is breathing anyway and Mm -hmm. really all this requires is you just sit down and instead of thinking as meditation as being the goal just thinking about deep belly breaths as your goal and doing 10 to 15 of them and if that's the only thing you do then that's all you do and the benefit is so huge because you are actually getting oxygen to the brain you're getting it into all the cells in your gut Um, you're neutrifying via oxygen and with that you're allowing other nutrients to flow through. Um, you 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 have the vasodilation happening, which allows me even more oxygen to come through. I mean, it's just a win, win, win all around. And you don't have to focus on calming your mind when you're doing that. You truly just focus on the breath, which I think is very cool. Mm-hmm. And so you've been doing that for a year and a half. Um, are you working with one practitioner or how does that work? Yeah, I've just coach? been working. Yeah, I've just been working with Ed. He's here in Whistler. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Everybody go see Ed. My husband's actually working with him as well. Yeah. And um, my husband definitely, like if I had said a year and a half ago, like, hey, let's do breath work. Go see your breath worker. He would have been like, no, don't need that. But he, for some reason, decided to go see Ed, connected deeply with him and um, just loves that intense feeling you get. Um, from doing the breath work and it's not easy. Like, I mean, he's come back and he's cried on the table and he has, um, you know, come back remembering things he had completely forgotten about. And so when you say it definitely is shifting trauma and it's emotional work as well. 
Yeah, Ed is doing some incredible things. Uh, we'll put Ed's show notes um, into the show as well. And so people can reach out to him. And you come all the way up from Langley to go see him. Yeah, I drive from the city to see him. Wow. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. committed. Yeah. So well. what do you think about your personality? Because I'm really curious about this, that, you know, I see so many people who are like, eh, it's not working. It's been two weeks. I didn't get results. Screw that. I'm going to go try something else. But you... You're like, you're this slow and steady guy, it looks like. Like, you're like, okay, you know what? I got a little bit of a result. I'm just going to keep going, keep trying. Or are you more like the the pirate who's got the map and there's a pot of gold and, you know, a chest of gold somewhere? Because that's all the other feeling I get too. It's like you are either super fixated, like you had mentioned on that one thing, trying to find it, or are you the slow and steady guy? And do you think personal- your personality has anything to do with the fact that you were able to keep going for four years? Um. Yeah, I think, well, I'm definitely not the slow and steady. Like when I, when I do something, I do it fully. Like if it's business and activity, doesn't matter what it is, if it's sport or, you know, I'm going to do it to the best that I can. And I think it's just a little bit of, I mean, I guess that's my personality, but also the growing up as well. Like with my dad, it was also very, like he was also real well, he was always very negative towards us and it didn't matter what we did, it was never good enough. And and that's I mean, I don't hate my dad or anything. It's just that's how I kind of remember childhood. I'd want to do these things, or when I first started working on my own cars, it was like you don't know what you're doing. And it was always this constant like he didn't like anything I was doing. And that always drove me to do more because I wanted to you know, you wanted to impress your dad or have you know, so when I first started my businesses and all of that stuff. I mean, that was one of the reasons. I mean, he never handed anything to us. I, when I said I wanted to start a business, he told me not to do it and thought that it was dumb and I'm not going to make any money because that's what he does. And I think it just, it really pushed me to go beyond to, to try and do things, whether he liked it or not. I didn't care. I was, I wanted to do it. So I was going to, and that kind of just came with everything in life. And, and as I mean, that it's that kind of gave me my anxiety and everything, <laughs> but it also was sort of a blessing in disguise because it also helped me fight it. So I think, um, yeah, a lot of it was personality and that, I mean, I know it takes, I just started understanding that it takes a long, you know, it took a long time for these things to come into place and, and hit me and it's going to take a bit of time to get rid of them. And yeah, I mean, I had things in life that mattered, right? I had, I had my business, I had a house, I had my, like my family, my brother and these people I was talking to. And I mean, they didn't want me to die. I didn't want to die. And it, I think, I mean, maybe it's harder for some people when you just have a job you don't care about or, or there's things in your life that aren't necessary. You don't have, you know, I was always envisioning like me going back to work and having a successful business and doing all these things with my life where that's what kind of kept me going is I wasn't ready to give up all of that stuff yet. Mm. So I had, I had a lot of things that I wanted to get back to doing and I was going to do whatever it took to get there really. I love that. And that's definitely one of the biggest questions that I think is responsible for my client's success um, is asking them 
you know, why are you even doing this? Like, why do you want to change your whole entire lifestyle and give up being able to go eat in restaurants with friends? And, you know, you're going to have to stop drinking, um, you know, and self-sabotaging with all these other things in your life that we self-sabotage with. And, you know, when we ask them that question, I mean, it really comes back to the why, like, why do you want to live? And if you can answer that question, I think that gives you the motivation to keep going and to try things and to try different things and to find a solution and to never give up because at the end of the day, there is an answer out there for you. Um, You know, it may not even exist in the world yet. It hasn't been invented, but there are answers out there for all of our health issues. And we can see that in history. I mean, there was a time when we didn't have um, the, we didn't have the drugs to be able to support pregnant women with AIDS. And now I met a doctor recently, he was out of a job um, because of the fact that all the hospitals in his area no longer need a pediatrician that specializes in pregnancy and AIDS. And it's because all the drugs are working so effectively. So Sometimes the drug doesn't exist yet. Um, Sometimes, you know, the naturopath doesn't have the answer yet. Sometimes you don't know the practitioner yet who's just around the corner um, who may have some answers for you or that nutritionist who knows that you might be allergic to something and like, hey, let's give this a try. But at the end of the day, knowing your why and keeping going um, so that you can eventually realize that why, um, you know, you have to hang on to that because it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. So, I mean, I commend you just for sharing your story because I know I was just recently on a podcast and we had hundreds of people write to us after um, being a guest on this other podcast on the Balance Blonde. And all the people who wrote in, they, you know, would lead with their, I've been suffering with this for 10 years. I've been, you know, have rheumatoid arthritis for the last five years. I have anxiety and depression, um, painful knees. I'm needing a surgery. And you know, as I'm reading these stories, I'm picturing a 60 year old in my mind. And then they would finish with, you know, I live in this county or I live in this town and I'm 22 years old. I'm 26 years old. I'm 29 years old. And it's crazy. Like that is what's truly crazy. The fact that you had anxiety and panic attacks and, you know, that wasn't crazy. The fact that you were afraid to go to the doctors and be diagnosed with something, you know, or find out that you have a brain tumor, that's not crazy right? That is not crazy. What is crazy is that we are feeding people the shittiest food that we've ever fed humans on the planet. Like we are in the worst time of history. We are flooding our fields with glyphosate and all of these chemicals and food colorings and preservatives and shit salt um, of many different types that are like completely damaging our system. Like that is what's crazy. The fact that we allow these food manufacturers to even produce this garbage, that is what is ultimately crazy. It's not crazy. Like everything that you went to, there was nothing crazy about you. There's nothing crazy about your situation at all. Um, And like I say, it's really remarkable. And I commend you for just keeping going on that journey because it really was a journey. Would you say? Oh, yeah. And the journey's still happening, right? You're still in it. Oh, yeah. It's always a journey. I mean, people and people ask me all the time because they think it's just, I don't know, they think that it's just gone or that I don't have any of those things anymore, like anxiety or panic attacks. And, And I definitely do just not nearly I mean I can still do anything I want to do it's just if I stop taking care of myself the way I'm supposed to you notice that they start to come back and I mean it's a slow shift and it's like you gain that self-awareness you know what your body wants and you can feel it and you're able to you know if you cheat for a bit and you eat like shit and don't really take care of yourself you can feel it start to come on and you know what to do and how to keep it in control it's not it's not an uncontrollable thing 
Yeah, and I think that is, I mean, I would even go as far as saying you're kind of lucky in a way that to be so young and have the symptoms that you did, like I would never wish that on anybody, but some people are able to ignore the symptoms and keep working through it for so long, but then they hit 40 or 50 and for them it's a heart attack and, you know, type two diabetes and, you know, blindness. I've had a client who was blind who she switched her life around at 44 years old and did the Gerson therapy and she got her eyesight back in three years. But if she had never discovered the Gerson therapy, she would have been blind maybe for the rest of her life. Um, you know, and there's so many stories and, and other people it ends up in suicide and ends up in death because living with these symptoms and never being able to find the answer, they would actually just choose to die. So in a way, you know, being so down and out to the point where you actually felt like you were dying, like you were living but dying was probably a blessing that happened at such a young age and that you were able to um, find some of these solutions. Yeah, I this actually, that exact thing came up. On Friday night, I met with uh, someone who reached out over Instagram, wanted to talk about their anxiety and what I had gone through. So we, we grabbed dinner and and this was a big thing for me too when I was going through it, as I always thought, why me? Like, why is this happening to me? And how come how come all my other friends and all these people that I know can go out and keep drinking and they're eating just as shitty as I was? How come they aren't going through this? And he said he he said the same thing to me. He said, you know, why me? Why? How come everybody I know, how come they can do this and I can't? And I said, well, I said, it sucks. But at the end of the day, you you're going to learn now how to take care of yourself. And he's 21. And that, I mean, same age that I was. And I said, you said, you're 21. And if you take some of this stuff that I know and that I've done, and you put this into your own life and do your own research and figure out and start taking care of yourself now, I said, that's fine that they're still going to party. But I said, would you rather take care of yourself now or when you're 40? I said, those, they're going to go along and they're going to keep eating like this and doing this and living that lifestyle and I said the exact thing to him that I said, they're going to hit 40 and who knows, like for you, it's anxiety and stuff like that. Now for them, it might be a heart attack, diabetes, cancer. I said, it, it comes up in different forms in everybody. And I said, I think it's actually a good thing because now you're going to be able to live a much better life instead of, you know, you're going to, or, or what they're going to. And I always wonder too, the people who are doing that, I mean, at the end of the day, you don't know how those people are feeling. You really don't. I mean, they can be eating all this stuff and it looks like they're living this life. And I was doing the same thing. And from the outside in, if if you were looking in at me through those years, would have just looked like a normal guy who's out partying, having fun. But you really don't know. And when, when him and I were sitting there, I said, you don't know how anybody else is feeling. All of your friends who are doing that, I mean, they could just be feeling like shit. And then what? I was like, they could be just living a shitty life for the next 20 years. Like there's nothing enjoyable about that. And we were sitting there. I said, man, all these people around us, you have no idea. That person over there could feel the exact same way as you. And they just look like a normal couple exactly. out having dinner. You ne- you never know. And it's so easy to, to mask it. I just, I don't know. One thing I always wonder is like, I wish I could just feel how other people are feeling because I, I, I have, like, I don't think, I just think that most people aren't feeling, you know, they're not nearly living as, as well as they could be. Yeah, there's definitely, I talk about this a lot about how social media makes our life look so great Mm -hmm. and it really exacerbates the problem because I know from working with clients, um, I will sometimes get a husband and wife who both of them are on antidepressants, but when I see them around the community, I mean, no, I know no one would ever 
know that about them. And it's not a thing to be ashamed of. I think it's great that they found something that is able to, you, you know, help them because mm-hmm. they need help. And if it is an antidepressant, that's great until they find hopefully something else that is able to make them feel good. It could be purpose in life. It could be diet. It could be exercise. I mean, it could be it's so many different things, sunshine, mm-hmm. getting, a, taking a vacation, who knows what it is. But I do, I do, because I get to go into people's lives and see their histories and I know that most people around us do feel shitty. Mm -hmm. They do feel like life is not worth living a lot of the time. I know it myself. Like I get overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that I have on my plate. And what that looks like is like, I don't want to get out of bed because I don't want to have to face the day. And I feel overloaded and depressed by the number of things that I have going on. I still get up though and I go and do it. But I think honestly, I'm in the same boat. If I didn't have the diet that I have today that is a nutrifying diet um, and I did rely on alcohol and coffee and I've done that before and I know that that takes me down a really bad place. Um, But, you know, fortunately I've had this knowledge for the last 22 years so I can see the symptoms creeping in and I know to like, you know, nip that in the butt right away. Whereas a lot of people don't, they ignore those symptoms and they cover it up by other things. So I would probably say that, um, you know, we're human beings and life on earth is a beautiful thing, but it's also a really tough thing. And we need to be compassionate with each other. We need to stop and look people in the eyes and say, Hey, how are you doing? And like, go have a tea with them or a juice with them and be, and and truly ask like, how is it really going? As opposed to this fake Instagram, like, Mm -hmm. what's up? High five. Here's a gif. And here's like a thumbs up. You know, I've gotten into giving everybody on text the thumbs up because I've gotten so busy (laughs) and I'm like, that's bullshit. You know, like, you know, we need to stop and um, see the people around us for who they truly are and give them an opportunity to express those emotions that they have. And then when we do that, I think we'll find that we're actually more similar um, than different, mm-hmm. right? And uh, those popular kids in school might not all be all that happy. Uh, hope that they are. Um, so before we leave, like we have covered so much here and I, you know, there's so much that I had no idea about, um, despite the fact that we've known each other for, you know, about six months now, you know, I met you through your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to give a little shout out to Jamie. He has a company called Vegan Naturals. Natural Na- Vegan. Oh, I do that every They're time. They're changing the name right now to Habitat, Habitat Botanicals, I think. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. She's going through a name change at the moment. So Naturally Vegan, an amazing company that pretty much makes uh, skincare products and beauty products that you can eat, mm-hmm. actually. Um, they actually don't even last more than three to six months. They have to be refrigerated. They should be refrigerated because of the fact that they really, they're meant to not have a shelf life, just like our food at the Green Mustache does not have a shelf life because we want it to go bad. We want you to eat it while it's still so fresh that it's at its optimum. And it's the same thing with these beauty care line. So um, yeah, check out their products. We'll have the um, name in the show notes so you can follow up. It's by, is it only by subscription or can they go? No, by? you can buy individually now. Oh, you can. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's awesome. I've used the products. They're amazing. I love them. Um, even just the lip balm. It's like, I sometimes just actually truly want to eat it and you could, and you would be fine. It's fully <laughs> edible. Um, we can start making desserts out of it. Um, just kidding. We won't, but, uh, you could. So before we sign off here, I want to know, What advice do you have for somebody who is maybe starting to feel the symptoms of anxiety or stress or depression or panic attacks and what should they do first and foremost? What are some tips that you have for them? Um, I honestly think the best thing is to talk about it. Like 
I think what made me I, one thing I didn't touch on was being like if if when you're in when you're living like that it, you feel like you're the only one who's who is having these feelings and the I remember the first time I reached out on social media and posted on Instagram um I must have had close to 100 people message me through Instagram and Facebook saying I'm going through the same thing and all and all of that and I was so scared to to post it because I didn't want people to know that I'm or think I'm going crazy and all this stuff but when I did it was really I mean, that took a huge load off my shoulders knowing that everybody, there's a lot, not everybody, but there's a lot of people out there who are having the same feelings. Um, and I think even now when I go and talk to people about it, they they feel really good just to hear other people's stories and what they've gone through. And, and I think everyone has different things that works for them. So I think if you're able to go out and connect with other people and just put it out there that you're looking for some help or... Um, or tips or anything, I, I think that that helps a lot to just know that you're not alone and, and hear what other people have been doing. Because I think, you know, different things work for everybody, not necessarily what worked for me is going to work for everyone else. But, um, and I think just trying different practitioners and other things and finding something that works for you, right? Like meditation might work really well for some people. And for me, breath work works better. So it just, and yoga seems to be really good for people, but I'm just not super into yoga like I would rather go mountain biking or dirt biking I mean everything's different but yeah you've really got to find what what works for you and I think practitioner wise too I I mean I found it easy to get caught up in certain practitioners because even in the holistic scene everybody I mean whatever someone's teaching they believe that most people will believe that that is the best thing to do so if you you know if you're going to go to a breathwork coach or you go to a nutritionist they they're I mean they're obviously going to preach their own thing and really want you to do that and come back and keep going on and you know seeing them every week but that's how they make money and I think being able to find good practitioners who are really in it for your best interest who may realize okay you know you should go see some other people and you know figure this out you're going to need more than just them and and I think you have to take the whole approach right like you can't just see a nutritionist and you can't just do breath work like if you're just doing breath work I get you know it relieves the stress and allows you to absorb the nutrients better and do all of that stuff but if you're not giving yourself the nutrients then how does that help so mm-hmm. I think yeah you really just need to take a whole you know a whole body approach and you know mind and everything and just try things and see what works for you and just yeah that's amazing. That is good advice. So talk about it. Share your experiences with your friends, uh, family, um, other people out there, even like what you did, like putting it out there to people and finding out that, you know what, you're not alone. Um, trying different practitioners. Uh, and I think the most important thing that I heard you say, too, is do what you love and love what you do. So, you know, if you love dirt biking, get out there and dirt bike more. If you love rock climbing, go out there and do that. Or if you do love meditation, then just start doing it more and make time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are three really, really good life-saving tips, I would say. <laughs> I would say. Awesome. What's next for you before we sign off? I don't know. It's been a long It's been a long journey. I kind of took a step back from from the motorsports company and I did the course with you and I don't know I, I've been just trying lots of, I've been going down lots of different avenues I was going to sell a supplement but then realized I don't believe in supplements really at the end of the day um, I've realized I don't really like working with people one-on-one either um, I think the biggest thing I've enjoyed doing is just meeting with people and 
you know, talking to them and sharing stories and, and having them do the same and just, you know, sharing the knowledge and stuff that we know. And I mean, people are always really happy to do that. So I think that's kind of the route I'm going down now is just sharing my story more and putting myself out there. And also, I mean, I've got a good group of people now that I do talk to a lot about um, mental health and, you know, just life in general. So I think we might start, you know, maybe start some sort of podcast or some way to share all of the stuff that we normally talk about in the group we have and hopefully get some other people out and, you know, just... I think hearing real life, real stories is what people want. I mean, you don't mm-hmm. want to hear the doctor. I mean, it helps, but nec- like the doctors talking about things that they've never actually experienced themselves isn't super helpful to what uh, we have gone through or people like what I've gone through or are going through. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know, I'm just going to start putting get putting myself out there a little bit more and just seeing where it takes me really. That's amazing. And I agree with you on that. Uh, Sharing your very real story with other people, it is just a way of sharing information. um, And it's done from a place of empathy and love. And you're just saying, hey, you know what, this is what happened to me. Uh, This is what I did, you Mm -hmm. know, and you can try it too. And um, going from there, because at the end of the day, there's no one person that has all the answers for you. Only you have those answers. And really by experimenting on yourself um, through these healthy avenues is a way that you're going to find answers. So don't wait a second day. Um, Connect with somebody that you resonate with. You know, try some of the things that they're suggesting. You can try any or all of the things that Shelby is suggesting. Is there a way that people can reach out to you and get in touch with you? Do you want people to do that or no? Um, Honestly, right now, the only way would really be social media media okay i don't um how do they reach you then through social media um i don't do you want to leave a like an instagram tag or something below yeah yeah we'll just do that you can reach me at instagram at shelby friesen at or no it's just shelby friesen s-h-e-l-b-y-f-r-i-e-s-e-n-n okay awesome were you about to say you don't have an email address no i was gonna say (laughs) at but that's it's an instagram thing not an email oh okay but we can put my email and stuff on. okay no we'll use your uh, social media if that's the way you communicate it's so funny i'm in that transition with i'm like people just call me like the old-fashioned phone and meanwhile we have all these young people messaging through social media and i'm like i can never find the messages again i find it anyway i'm clearly old (laughs) older um a different generation for sure shelby thanks so much for being on the show it's been amazing i really am so grateful that you did share this story of yours which is really remarkable like I've mentioned um, so much gratitude for coming out and doing that because I know it's not always easy to talk about these personal journeys that we've been through and personal struggles but you did it very eloquently and you actually shared so much great information that I know our listeners are going to benefit hugely for it so thanks for being here with us thanks for having me awesome everyone have a great day Do what you love, love what you do, eat clean, eat real, detoxify your liver, and be well. So what did you think of that show and of Shelby Friesen's incredible, heartwarming, real, true, and honest story of how he had been addicted to sugar, how he had been battling mental health issues for a long time, not unlike what so many people around the world are facing today. 
If you were inspired by this show and you want to reach out to us, please do so at info at richerhealth.ca. We would love to hear from you. If you have an Eat Real to Heal story, a wellness warrior story, a journey about using food as medicine or using any type of modality as a way to overcome your health issues when you were not able to get the answers through the traditional medical routes we want to hear from you because those stories are so powerful and they bring light to the fact that there's so many different ways that we can tackle our health issues especially those chronic health issues that the current medical system doesn't really have a handle on So if you also know of someone that is battling a chronic health issue, especially a mental health issue, please reach out to us and we can support you on steps that you can take to support that loved one or to support yourself if that's the case. So write to us, let us know what you think. You can reach us at info at richerhealth.ca. And if you are in Vancouver, British Columbia, or Whistler, or Squamish, or BC, or Port Moody, or Edmonton, Alberta, and you want to check out one of our green mustache locations stop by say hello we would love to see you and let us know what you think about our plant-based whole foods that's 100 organic we have delicious cooked meals raw meals beautiful desserts everything is dairy free gluten free it is 100 organic all the time because we will never ever ever take a risk with your health when it comes to food because we could easily buy the sprayed genetically modified food it is much much cheaper in fact it's 50 cheaper for us but we would never do that because we need to put a stop to this glyphosate epidemic that is facing our world and if you don't know about what's happening with regards to non-organic food production and the decimation of our soils which is also the decimation of our gut health you need to check out our podcast with dr zach bush and listen to that podcast check out his podcast with rich roll he's got two incredible podcasts there check out all of our podcasts and it'll really paint a picture of what we need to do to be able to reclaim our health and to reclaim our lives so i look forward to hearing from you we look forward to hearing from you at richer health and the green mustache if you are wanting to check out one of our retreats come to our retreat center which is located in pemberton british columbia we have a beautiful home that sleeps 12 guests that come from all over north america we have had the privilege of working with so many beautiful people that have flown from so many places to learn all about food as medicine we teach you how to do the gerson therapy and our eat real to heal program is based on that so we teach you how to do it safely how to do it properly how to build a medical team to support you and we look forward to helping you along your healing and recovery journey so that you can live a vibrant and abundant life. So thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next podcast and be